Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I've been right up to my neck in it, and I'm never in a flurry. I'm live from Nangwari. I don't know. Yep, no, that's who I am. Yep, no. No, no, go, go, go away, go away. Come on. No, no, I'm washed up. Not in the kind of filth that I used to enjoy Uncle either. Nev, come on, you remember your favourite no. song? No, I don't remember that. Come on, Jason, let, let me go to bed. Come on, come on. Turn it off. Come on, move it. Turn it down. Turn it off. Turn the bloody thing down, Jason. Get out of bed, Uncle Nev, come on. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Turn it off. Get up, get out of bed. Turn it off. I'll throw a bloody pillow at the record player, right? Uncle Nev, you used to be so on the ball. Yeah, well, I was until I bloody got kicked there in last week's episode. Oh, that smarts it does. Oh, one of the few things about me that ever has. Oh, Uncle Nev, you just can't give up Why? like this. Come on, you used to throw yourself into your work. Yeah, well, that's pretty true, actually. Yeah, I did love me business, didn't I? Yeah, you certainly smelled like you did throw yourself into your business sometimes. Oh, but you were so happy, Uncle yeah, Nev. Happy. I've got nothing to look forward to oh, now. Uncle I mean, Nev. Darby put that button thing up on the site, people donating money to fix Sheila. Yeah, I know I should spend the money on it, but son, yes. I'm, I'm getting jaded and I'm getting old and oh. that money's coming in. I, I don't see the point. We might as well just, just live off that, so if you don't mind... I do mind. Tough. I'm going back to bed. Good uh, night. Uncle Nev, do not get back into the bed. I, I, I shall call Darby's son in to jump on the bed. Right, I'm going to call him now. Hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. get off me! Get off me yeah, bloody feet! Yeah, get yeah, off! Get off yeah, me bloody feet! Yeah, Go on! Yeah. Who told you you could come into our realm and give us a hard time? Your sniff! Your no. butthead! No! Get off me! I don't, don't want to get up! No! Leave me alone! Uh, young Roy, play him that thing you did on your iPod there with that annoying thing. Go on, put that on. That'll get him. Get out with that bloody thing! Get out with that bloody annoying thing! Go on! Stop it! Ow! You're hitting me! No! 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 I don't want to do this anymore! I've had enough! Stop it! Well, I've been right up to my neck in it, and I'm never in a flurry. I'm there from Nangwari. Oh, I don't know. Yep, no, that's who I am. Yep, no. I am the maker of rules, dealing with foo-oo-oos, I can cheat you blind. 
And that's the only purpose I think I have in life, is to cheat you blind, my lovely little lovely downloading people. God love you all, even though we don't believe there's a God. But if there was, he, she, it, or whatever it is, would love you desperately. And maybe even with some sort of passion. I'm not sure. It's Darby here. Hello. Welcome along to the Dumb Down Atheist podcast. What a perler of a uh, of an Australia Day we had. And I realised when I came back to sit down in my little den of iniquity here that all the gear is actually still set up from last time. So you never know. I might might even play the Gypsy Rover before we're done. That's good, isn't it? Sorry to be so patronising. You know, like when you, you see kids shows. Um, I was once paid a, a wonderful compliment, only once in my entire life. The rest of the time, it's been a fecking misery. When I was once, I don't know, why am I going down this path? I didn't mean to say any of this. I was doing some kids shows once a long, 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 long time ago. I can still remember how that music used to make me smile before I became so bitter. And my old English teacher happened to be there with a kid of her own, which was unusual because she never seemed the sort that would ever, ever have kids. I saw her up the back at the shopping centre and afterwards she said, it's very nice, you don't patronise the kids. I said, what do you mean? You know, She goes, you know, when you see kids show, they go, this is good, isn't it, boys and girls, isn't it? And you don't do that. And I said, you know why? Because I'm just in it for the money and I hate the little bastard! Anyway, um, so we went away uh, for a day or so over Australia Day and like all patriotic Australians everywhere... We uh, had dinner in an Indian restaurant because that's the least we could do. And um, boy, oh boy, folks, I'm telling you, religion is not going to go away anytime soon. Just in case you uh, are living under the impression somewhere that the blogs you write on the internet, podcasts you do, you somehow think, I am singly, handedly saving the world. Forget it, you're not, okay? You're not, you're not. Outside of this little uh, closed environment that we live in, most people wouldn't have a clue what's going on. And sometimes I think, I think, I think ignorance is bliss. So we, um, we went and stayed in St Kilda, where um, in, in Australia, St Kilda is kind of the... It's kind of down on the bum end <laughs> where uh, all the nerves and fibres hang out. And we stayed there one night on Sunday. And uh, it was good. And uh, we checked everything out. And we went, we went and had a, uh, a schnitzel. Pardon the uh, political incorrectness of that. A crumbed piece of veal. <laughs> to slate our lust at, um, at Barney Allen's. Which Barney Allen's is a... Is a re it's sort of a restaurant bar type thing that does nibbly foods and drinkies. And we take our kid there all the time. And we usually only go during the day when it's quiet. And uh, so we went there and that was good. And then and then we stayed at the uh, some sort of Barclay Street hotel. It said it had four stars. I don't know what for. Because what for. I think in Australia's hotels don't go, go below three stars. I don't think there's any such thing as a two-star hotel. And um, and we had we, anyway we didn't we didn't take a, a lap dog with us this time because I didn't really have anything to watch and I said it's only there for one night so we could just watch television and I haven't watched like free to air television for a long time and um, if I could just borrow a phrase from 
um, the No Agenda podcast when they refer to the ordinary rank and file people as shittisons. Watching free-to-air TV did make me feel rather like we are shittisons, all right? Thank you, guys, from No Agenda. I'll try not to use that again because I don't like stealing too many jokes from people, <laughs> if there's anybody watching. And um, it started out, we, we put it on, and first the kid had ABC3 on, which doesn't have any ads, and that's good. But then we moved over to Channel 10-11, stroke and uh, there was a report on the floods in Queensland, because Australia being the land that it is of sweeping flame, droughts and flooding rains and bushfires, all in the same day, um, Queensland is now awash with water. We don't get it down here in the other part of the country where we need it. Instead, we're on fire. And um, <laughs> and it's not funny. It's not funny. There was a picture of this, this house where the floods had come through. And I'm not kidding. There was, there was corrugated iron in the front yard and upturned cars. Like there was all cars and junk left in there. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. It, it looked a little bit like driving down to Wendery West for the day. Most of them were clapped out Commodores, I'm not sure. But, um, and then the ads started on the TV and it's just this hedonistic society that we live in where women are taught to be goddesses. You know, you need this foundational makeup because if you don't, your children won't love you anymore, your house will be stuffed. And there was this ad on with this woman spraying air freshener and she's dancing around the um the lounge room like doing all these pirouettes and everything and this one can of air freshener will outlast 5000 cans of another leading brand and at the end of the commercial her like husband and son are staring at her in bewilderment and they had the same look on their face that i had the entire time i watched um tv there and how do you follow programs when they give you at 5 to 7 minutes of a program if you're lucky and then keep throwing the same ads in. And the ads that went around were, there was this one for being a CPA, a certified practicing asshole. And it was like, you know, you, you really are failing if you do not sign up to be a CPA. Like, it was almost like, by the year 2025, one in every two people will be a CPA. And if you're not one of them, then expect a miserable life. Then the, then, then the funniest thing was they had this this commercial on for this exercise machine that you sort of sit in. It's like a horseshoe-shaped seat that goes from side to side. And as you're going from side to side, you twist in this thing. And I'm thinking, how, how many back injuries are there going to be? And it was like, you know, 47 easy payments of $195 to take this thing home today. And then right after, right after the commercial was another commercial for a mob called gumtree.com.au, which are a bit like eBay. And I think it showed this person in the back of the commercial stacking up all their unwanted stuff that they could sell on Gumtree. And most of it was exercise equipment. And I, and I started laughing because I'm going, isn't that funny? First, you'll pay your 147 million payments of this thing that does your back in. And in the very next commercial, you'll be flogging it off. Like most, like if you want to buy exercise equipment, you don't buy it from TV, just go to any op shop. And there's usually thousands of them there. Thousands of them. And you have it for nothing. Because everybody thinks, and they do the, you know, the superimposing morphing thing where the person's sitting there with the big fat guts and all of a sudden you see their stomach um, meld into this six pack. 
So we watched that, and then there was another ad for this for plastic surgery. Oh, you need plastic surgery. Yet again, easy payments off. And then they showed the doctor who's the plastic surgeon. And I'm not kidding. Never in my life have I seen a person more deserving of actual plastic surgery than this guy. Like he had, the hairstyle was the reverse mohawk. So he had the bald landing strip in the middle. And to quote an old joke, if you turned his head upside down, he would have looked exactly the same. And his name was Dr. David something or another. So, and then there were the vacuum cleaners that never lose suction under any circumstances whatsoever. I do not know how people how people do it. Anyway, then it was quite good apart from that. And then we and then we went um, to Luna Park, uh, which if you if you're from overseas and you come to St Kilda, definitely go to Luna Park. But try to avoid it on the day of a public holiday, okay? Because it opens at um, eleven o'clock. And then the queue goes all the way back from the ticket office, which is about halfway down the park, right back through the big, huge mouth with the teeth and almost right the way down Ackland Street of people queuing up. And when you've got a seven-year-old and you've promised him you'll go there, he then cracks the shits when you say, oh, look, let we might find something else to do in the meantime. And he's cracking it. And luckily the day before, so I said, we'll come back in the afternoon. So... We ended up going off to this Polish cake shop, which was, that was good. And then we went into the city. And the day before, in, for people in England, you'll get a blast out of this. There's a store in Melbourne called Arthur Daly's Discount Centre. And except the guy, you hear him go, don't call me Arthur, son, call me dad, instead of expecting Arthur Daly. But anyway, so he, the, we took him there and he bought these little guns that shoot foam darts. So by the, oh... Oh, Melbourne. I'm, this is what I mean. Religion's not going away anytime soon because there are people of all different religions wandering around left, right, and centre. And you're looking at it. There's Sikhs and Muslims and born again Christians coming up to people in the streets. It's not going away in a hurry. Stop, stop kidding yourselves. All right. And then the kids said, "Oh, I want a happy meal at McDonald's." Now, in Australia, we have a habit of Ackering everything. Well, like for example, McDonald's now in Australia is referred to as Maccas. Well, going to Maccas, Marta, you going to Maccas? And it's sort of endearing in a way, but in many ways it isn't. And so now the McDonald's that's in near the Flinders Street station, near Young and Jackson's Hotel, actually, where I used to play, the zoo as it was. Fucking bar scene from Star Wars, mate. Anyway, um, they've now got the signs out front. It doesn't say McDonald's anymore. It actually says Maccas. So we went into Maccas, and I don't know what it is on the long weekend, but I'm fairly sure the support staff for most um, facilities for the mentally ill must go on holiday over the weekend, and they must let people out. Because up at the front of the counter was some Chinese guy who was wailing away at the top of his voice. Not in Chinese, but he was just mad. And then there was one, like, free table. And there were other tables, but there's a woman walking around emptying bins, right, with with rubber gloves on her hand that go all the way up to, like, her elbows. And there was just filth on the tables. And she was so busy emptying the bins, she obviously didn't have time to wipe any of the tables down. And I was just in there going... 
let's get out of here. Even if we've got to go in the car, let's drive to a different Macca's, one that's not full of the criminally insane. And then my wife goes, oh, no, no, we'll just queue up. We'll sit over there. And I went to sit over there, and it was obscured by, like, a pylon. And I go to sort of sit down over there. And behind over there was this guy who was another one singing away to himself, just having this big conversation like, ah, yeah, and everything's on. Ooh, 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 ah, and, and I got my thing. Ah, ah, and he's tapping on the tables. And I thought, oh, no. He was oblivious to everything that was going on around him. So eventually, this atheist here, me, eventually they got their food and I said, come on, let's get out of here. And we took it across to the, to the, like these seats that were at the church opposite because, believe me, it was preferable for me to even go and sit at the church rather than... Anyway, anyway so eventually, so I got to 3 o'clock and as you know... I, got a bit of a heart thing going on and um it was three o'clock and i and my kid go my kid says we're still going to um luna park uh yeah all right i suppose so we headed back there and the queues had gone but there were still lots of queues for the rides and then they said okay well it's this much for a wristband Oh, and at the moment we have these two extra rides, and for the additional $4 on top of that, you get a second wristband, and you can ride these other two rides that are just here. And one of them was the Crazy Coaster, and that's pretty good because it's like a roller coaster, but the, the coaster cars are circular, and they actually spin you around when you go up and down the things. That was pretty good. And another one called the another one called the Power Surge. Five, five, four, four, three, two, one... And the power surge wasn't bad, but in the signs um, for Luna Park, it says, if you have any of these conditions, it is really recommended you do not ride any of these rides. And that's even like the little dinky merry-go-round for the kids. And one of the things they have is if you have any heart complaints, do not ride the rides. <clears throat> now, you tell a seven-year-old kid who's with you, oh, no, I won't ride. Oh, but you got to ride. So we rode absolutely everything. And I got into this power surge, which is this like this manic, it's hard to explain, like all these seats, they strap you in on an arm and they spin you around and you go upside. It's worse than the hangover. And then they push this like this brace, this metal brace on top of you. And as they come past, like they just push it. And wherever it gets pushed to, that's where it gets locked to. And I had my wallet in my top pocket because that was the only sort of valuable I wanted to keep safe. And that's right, roughly where my heart is. And they pushed this thing, wham, onto me. And already I could feel it. Oh, gee, that hurts a bit. And then the then the thing started spinning up in the air. And then at one point you're sort of gravity-wise, you're, face, you're facing the ground, but you're about 400 feet in the air. And that brace, metal brace thing, is what's holding you to the seat and saving you from certain death. And then I started to think, oh, gee, my shoulder's hurting a bit. Oh, man, that's hurting a bit. And then it spun around more. And I didn't actually open my eyes for the entire time I was on that ride. And um, meanwhile, my kid, he's like, yeah, this is great. And eventually we got down from there. And uh, meanwhile, my wife, she's sensible because she goes, oh, well, I'll, I'll go and have, I'll go and rest. You know, she goes off to rest. She had a little look at Myers and she sat down and had coffee and stuff. And... 
And then my kid said, oh, doing that again. And I said, no, you'll be doing that on your own, which he did. He rode it three times completely without fear. And we went on the ghost train and, and some rides you could just get in straight away and other ones there were considerable amounts of waiting time. So sometimes it was like half an hour or more to get on the ride. So that was three o'clock and eventually the park ends at eight o'clock. So we were there for five hours and I was knackered when I got there. Like I was knackered when I got there. And after about the second ride, he goes, oh, dad, I really, I really want some fairy floss. So I said, oh, all right then, okay then. And um, I said, and they're, you know, they're making it, and some of it's in bags and some's on the stick. And I think to myself, get it in the bag because you don't have to eat it all in one go and you can save it in the bag. So I said, do you want it in the bag or on the stick? Oh, I want the stick. I want it on the stick because then I can play with the stick when I'm finished with the, the thing. So I said, all right. So we sit down with the big thing of fairy floss, and the first thing he does is he pulls a little bit of the fairy floss off, he puts it in his mouth, and then he goes, mmm, yum, um, with this look on his face like, I don't like this. He goes, here, Dad, you can have it. So I said, well, that's why I said get it in a bag, because we probably wouldn't, no, Dad, you eat it all now. And I did. Oof. <laughs> I felt really ill. So anyway, then he wanted chips later on, and I put him on the bench. And I said, whatever you do, don't knock them over. So whatever he did, yeah, he knocked them over. That's exactly right. And five bucks, man, at Luna Park, you get the tiniest amount of chips like you wouldn't believe. So anyway, it got to 8 o'clock, and my wife had come back, thank goodness, and we decided we would go back to Barney Allen's. Now, in Australia, um, there's a TV chef who's really famous called Ian Hewitson, Huey. And he's part owner of Barney Allen's. And we've never seen him there. My wife always goes, oh, I wonder if Huey's going to be there. I wonder if Huey's going to be there. And he never, ever is. And so because we went at night, we pulled up out front and, and there was this, like this, you could, it's dark in there. And you could see like the shadow, like of them. And she, and my wife goes, it's him. It's him. It's Huey. It's him. It's him. Oh, oh, oh. And I'm going, calm down. It's, it's you know, it's okay. So we went inside and they gave us our menus and we started to order and she's just like mesmerized. And because like Huey's famous, he's sort of sitting at the end of the bar and he's watching the cricket on the big screen TV and he sort of got his hand up beside his face, sort of leaning. And he's sort of doing that thing that sort of famous people do, I guess, when they're sort of out or whatever. You know, they kind of insulate themselves a little bit from what's going on so they're not bothered every five seconds. And then we ordered our meal and she's still going, oh, man, I really, really want to talk to him. And she wandered off to the toilet at one point. She sort of walked past the bar, sort of in his view a bit, and she goes, but, oh, no, he wasn't looking at anybody. He's just sort of staring ahead. But, oh, man, I'd really love to talk to him. I'd really love to meet him. And I said, well... I said, you look at you look at your your second favorite favorite media personality. What does he always say? This person who you're inspired by, and she goes, "Who, Roy Malloy?" And I said, "No, not bloody Roy. You know, he's come and given talks and stuff. This other who? Don't know." I said, "Tom O'Toole, who runs the Beechworth Bakery." What what does he say? Oh, him. I said, "What do you mean, oh him? He's done you favors and oh yeah yeah, I kind of like him." I said, you more than like him. You're raving about him. What does he say when he gives those motivational speeches? I don't know. What does he say? 
I said, well, he says, if you want something, ask for it. If you're wanting something, just ask for it. And then she goes, oh, I don't know. I'd be devastated if I went over to Huey and like, what if he blew me, blew me away and just said, get lost. I'm trying to have a quiet drink here. And I said, oh, well, you know, you got to take the risk, don't you? Well, what on earth, what would I say? And I said, well, you just walk up. Well, what would I, how would I address him? I said, well, you could call him Mr. Hewitson. Hello, Mr. Hewitson. I'm a big fan. Oh, I don't know. And you could see the look on her face like it was like the moment was going to pass. Here I am. He's here. We're here. And meanwhile, behind us, which I really had to laugh, there was a, there was people leaning up against like a, a wine barrel and right behind where we were eating. And there was this amorous guy who was pro- probably the wrong side of 50, uh, and he was like all over this this um, this. Uh, was she? Well, she was sort of Asian. She looked a little bit like she could be Indonesian or whatever. Although no, maybe a bit more taller than that. She was quite tall, quite tall. And uh, he was like having th- putting his tongue down her throat and putting on a real good little show. And then at one point, he must have gone off to get some drinks or something. And she sat down against the edge of the barrel and she was tapping out a tune on her knees and I turned around and saw her and I thought, My goodness, what big hands you what big hands you do have And then I looked up towards where the throaty bit was and I thought, What a big Adam's apple you you do have <laughs> And then my wife looked at me and she noted and she goes, um is it did you did you notice the two I said, Yes I did know is she I said, Yeah, yeah, no, she's, she's a shim. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the little skirt keeps riding up and soon we're going to we're going to see what's going on here with and I <laughs> and I was just thinking of hello hello la, da, da. and I had my back to my my wife could see it and she goes oh <laughs> you're missing all of this because the guy came back and by this stage they were well th- there was knees in crutches and they were staring longingly at each other and it was very much time to go and get a room and um, so I said, oh, this is all very confusing, isn't it, dear? I mean, there's Ian Hewitson sitting over the edge of the bar, and between him and us, there's this show going on here with um, <laughs> a bit of pole dancing. And um, eventually those two did go, which was just as well. And my wife said, I wonder what they're up to now. And I said, oh, probably a little bit of offshore drilling, I dare say. I dare say. St Kilda is just the most amazing place. Because uh, we used to, well, I remember we did some gigs there once, and there were these like guys that were like nine feet tall, who used to turn up f- wearing uh, little cocktail frocks <laughs> and stuff. It's a, it's very eye opening when you when you're just a little apple fa- apple cheeked fresh boy from the country, and you've not you've not seen that side of the world as much. Anyway, uh, the boy and I we went off to uh, to splash the boots as it were because it was time to go. And I could see the look on my wife's face. She was like, I'm going to miss out on this opportunity to meet like an absolute hero, Ian Huey Hewitson from the cooking show. And we came back out. And at that point, I thought, well, I'll go and sort of pay the bill and maybe I can attract his attention while I'm putting the card in the machine. So I came back out and I said, all right, do you want me to pay? And she goes, I've already paid. And by this stage, her little face was looking down because she was thinking, I'm just not going to get a chance to talk to him. 
because sort of a few people had sort of hovered around him and sort of half spoken to him, and he hadn't really paid them much attention. So I said, "All right, well, let's get going." She goes, "All right, well, I'll I'll visit the little girl's room, and then I'll meet you back out here." So I thought, "Well, look, it's now or never." And I had said to her, "Look, I'm going to teach you how to smooze." To celebs, and she goes, but I just don't know what to say. And if he was to blow me off, I'd just be devastated, which you would be, because I mean, you know, when you meet your idols, because idols always disappoint. I've met a few of mine, and overall, it's been pretty good. But uh, at times, you know, they can be whatever, and it's nothing worse than walking up to someone and saying, "Look, I'm a big fan," and I was, just, and they turn around and go, "Fuck off! I'm, I'm having a drink. I'm not on stage now. Do you think I'm on all the time? Why do you people fuck off and leave me alone? Because that happens." And that can absolutely devastate you, you know. So I thought, well, it's now or never. So I dragged the kid over because he'd seen Huey's Cooking Adventures. And uh, we wandered over and, and the barman noticed uh, myself and my little my little Roy, who's seven, sort of staring at Huey beside him. And the barman sort of pointed towards Roy. And Huey turned around. And as he turned around from the cricket, I said, oh, look, sorry to bother you. And my son then looks at him and goes, I think your cooking show's awesome. And Huey's face like lit up like a Christmas tree. And he had that look like he has when he's on TV, you know, because he's really jovial and, and smiley. And um, and I said, go closer so he can hear you. So Roy said it again and he goes, oh, that's wonderful. And here, what's that you got in your hand? Because my kid was drawing um, over dinner with his little exercise book. And he still had the little exercise book and pen in his hand. Give that to me here. What's your name? And he signed, you know, to, to Roy from your mate, Huey. And I thought, oh, well, here we go. This is good, isn't it? So I said, look, you know, sorry to, to have bothered you, but uh, well, we all, we do come here quite a bit and you're never here. And look, my wife's going to be out in a minute. And, uh, and believe me, it's very likely she may actually throw herself onto you and then get security to have me thrown out so she can stay. And he goes, oh, oh, that's all right, or something. And she came out, and she looks up at the end of the barn. There he is conversing, and then we're smiling and gesturing with hands and stuff. And she comes over, and I'm not kidding, like she's almost shaking. And, and so she has a good conversation with him. And uh, and then I said, look, I better take a picture. And, and the camera had been set differently. I handed it to her, and I said, do you think you'll be able to set the settings, which she's just about able to do? And so Roy and her, and there's a picture of her kissing him on the Facebook page and everything. And uh, and he said, oh, no, I've, I've been attacked already by two women today. I've got room for more. So um, so I said, well, look, you know, we all, always come here and we and you're never here. My wife always says, would you be here? And finally you were. So thank you for being so generous. Oh, no, thank you. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, look, I love your uh, idea here, the way you run a bar with like bar, you know, little sort of nibbly snacky things because the hamburger there is good. I've got to tell you, it's good. 12 bucks and this is the biggest hamburger you've ever seen. So anyway, he, he waved goodbye and we all walked out and my wife was buzzing all the way home, texting people. So that was our, that was our uh, Australia Day weekend, okay? Not that many gags involved there. But uh, anyway, and I came home. And now this is like two days after, and I'm not kidding, my arm and shoulder are killing me from being strapped into that stupid bloody machine. So I feel like a bit out of sorts today for some reason. I don't know why. 
Um, I was our first day back at school today too. We just dropped the little little monkey off after he's had six weeks of holidays. He wasn't uh, he wasn't over the moon about going back, but never mind. An old uh, sunny disposition, the headmaster is was there, and I said, "Oh, you <laughs> like sort of sarcastic, like a little bit, so like yeah, get the joke." Oh, you'd have been looking forward to coming back after your nice long break, wouldn't you, having to go back to all of this? And he just, oh, yes, yes, very much. Oh, the school's looking shipshape and everything's... He's a bit like Mr Bean, actually. But he's a wonderful fellow, the headmaster. Um, now, um, this morning, yet again, we were reminded of just what a fascist autocracy Australia is becoming. And this is from the Australian.com.au. I feel like I haven't, I feel like I haven't had any... Bloody decent half laughs this episode for some reason. I don't know why I'm a bit, a bit tired. This is from the Australian. Um, Labor's dangerous discrimination draft should be shown the door, according to Robert Clark from the Australian, and I absolutely agree. This is this is getting seriously worrying. Um, they say that if an election were held today, the Gillard Labor government would be swept out of power by an enormous. Majority, and as much as I kind of dislike Tony Abbott because he is a fucking god monkey, I'm starting to think it might not be such a bad idea. Because let's face it, our atheist prime minister has not done a lot for us, really. Very busy, kind of sucking up to the religious right and telling religious organisations they can't, they are allowed to discriminate against, you know, people's lifestyles and stuff, and. You know, it's a bit of a bit of a worry. She's not really doing much for anybody, really. Anyway, late last year, according to the Australian, the Gillard government released a draft anti-discrimination law for public comment that was supposed to simply, or supposed to consolidate a few existing Commonwealth laws. Hmm. Instead, the proposed law would impose sweeping restrictions on freedom of speech and on people's conducts in their working places, shops, schools, and clubs. It would also impede the ability of the state police and state governments to protect the community. Sound good so far, does it? The draft law proposes to dramatically extend the definition of discrimination to include conduct that offends or insults another person based on 18 specified... A A free-thought blogs fucking friends with our Prime Minister or something. Is that what's going on here? based on um, 18 specified attributes, including age, gender, political opinion, and, quote, social origin, unquote. If this becomes law, which I don't think it will, I reckon they'll get kicked out before this becomes law, um, merely expressing a view that others find objectionable because they or their friends have such an attribute could constitute an act of discrimination for which the person... So if I say Julia Gillard and her bunch of fucktards are a bunch of fucktards, does that, is that discrimination? I think it will be. So maybe in the next election they get this through before the election and then they say, everyone who didn't vote for us, you're guilty of discrimination, so we're going to stay in power. Hey. Yes, Australia. That's how she speaks. You want to hear that in speeches? Oh, my God. My fellow Australian, um, for which oh, I've got blocked up nose too. I've got a bit of a cold too. I'm really, I really am quite wretched at the moment. Hang on, uh, I had to give up the Otrovan. It was getting too expensive. I've gone over to Logison now, which is good because it's a bit like you, you whack it up your hooter, and it's like you've stuck a pine forest up your nose. 
<laughs> it has that added advent, uh, the added bit of a um, of a bit of a sort of a uh, one of yeah pine sort of scent, whatever it is, or maybe it's eucalyptus. No, it's eucalyptus, but it only contains half the amount of oxymetalozoline hydrochloride. It's only 0.5 whatever, and the Otrovan one's 1.0. So I think the Otrovan should be more effective, but. Oh, it's not bad. Ah. And hello to my long standing listening people, Dominic DeMassi and Christiana uh, and, and Simon, of course, who listen no matter how bad this show gets, they still seem to listen. Um. Ugh have such an attribute that could co- that would be an act of, quote, discrimination for which the person expressing the view may be liable for compensation. Oh, well, really? Oh, you said something that offended me, and I was really upset when you said my nose is too big, and now you have to give me $100,000. Oh, fuck, I'm going to be in deep shit with the podcast, aren't I? I heard Neil Mitchell on 3AW this morning, and he said if the law gets through because it's a talk-based show. He goes, I think we'll just be playing music if this ever gets through. Because he quoted the thing. This this is what, what they were saying on AW, that if, for example, he said, I don't like Indian food, um, I find, for me, I don't like the taste of it, and I find it's incredibly bloating, so I wouldn't eat it because it's yuck, right? That could be considered under this new law to be discrimination, This is really bad. I mean, this is really bad. The prohibition would not even be based on what a reasonable person, what a reasonable person might consider insulting, but on whether the person complaining felt offended or insulted. This is fucked. I mean, as they say, offence is never given. It's just taken. You've insulted me and I feel offended. Well, fucking get over it. For fuck's sake, get over it. You're gonna, you're gonna have. This is gonna be really bad. You're gonna have teams of goon squads like deliberately downloading podcasts, so that they can be deliberately offended, so that everyone can start suing everyone. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So it's gonna be that, like in the end, if you run a podcast or something, you'll be better off making sure that, say, you live in a rented house, and you've got a rented car, and all your furniture is rented, right? So that. Should you run a podcast and you happen to say something and someone decides they're going to sue you, that at least you say, well, okay, sue me. I've got nothing that I can give you. You know, I have nothing. I've got $37 in the bank. I live from sort of paycheck to paycheck. So uh, go ahead and sue me. It costs me 20 bucks a month to host my podcast sue me and then the judge can award you your hundred thousand dollars but he'll have to say or she sorry i don't oh god i'll probably be in trouble for that now oh no you said the judge was a he i'm offended by that you owe me a hundred thousand dollars cough it up um so you'll have to have it at five dollars a week or something this is just fucking this is stupid the prohibit i mean we already have laws for this stuff you know, this is as dopey as these fucking idiots who go to these, like, the atheist conventions and stuff and start going, we want broad sweeping things put into policy about harassing us and stuff. There's already laws in place for that. 
Yeah, but we run this entire time, sure. Because the world's becoming a place where people say nasty things and refer. I mean, for fuck's sake. Oh, but your rights should end when you've said something I don't agree with. I'm going to go home and cry. Fuck off and go home then. And don't fucking leave your house again, prick. The prohibition would not only apply to statements made in public debate, but to private conversations in places such as workplaces, schools and clubs. Not only does this threaten long-standing freedoms under the Australian law, it means mandatory in Australia to hang shit on people. That's what we do. It's also contrary to the right of freedom of expression set out in the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights which is one of the key international treaties on which the government claims its new law is based. The draft law also proposes sweeping extensions to where discrimination is prohibited. Current law regulates specific groups that might discriminate, such as providers of employment, education, goods and services, clubs and sporting associations, Oh, right. That's disc- so she's, she's upset that somebody might discriminate. Meanwhile, she tells religious organisations, oh, you're exempt from this law. You can discriminate all you want if someone comes to you for a job and their lifestyle doesn't meet with your approval. It has nothing to do with their ability to do the job properly, just that you don't like or it's against your little beliefs go ahead and discriminate against them as much as you like and we will protect you. Fucking idiots. Um, However, the new draft law... I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be bitter! I had visions today I was going to come in here and it was all going to be sunshine and light. And it hasn't started out that way, has it? First I go off to Melbourne and I'm watching commercial TV and all I can see is, Buy these products, slave. Buy these products, slave. Your life is empty without all this shit. And I never had all that shit. I didn't need it. Now I wish I'd never seen that bloody thing. Um, However, the new draft law covers the conduct of any person connected with any area of public life. This means the law will regulate the conduct of any employee of a business, any student at school, any customer in a shop, any volunteer in a community organisation. Here it is, folks. Any blogger. And so forth. So someone can read your blog or download your podcast, go out of their way to download your podcast. Oh, well, I went out of my way to download it because someone told me there was offensive stuff in there and I downloaded it. Oh, and it was really offensive. So now I want to sue people. Fucking hell. The government's going to have to offer everyone a free sewing kit at the start of each financial year so we can sew our lips together. I mean, the thing is, right, this is this is what shits me. Whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, you, you can't... This is not George Orwell's 1984, okay? You can't legislate what people think. And now, unfortunately, some people do think some pretty horrible things, right? We have, we, for, like, we have anti-racism laws. We have all of that. It doesn't stop some people being racist, you know? It really doesn't. And the more laws that you put, 
it actually entrenches them even more to be racist because then they start saying, oh, the fucking government's telling me I can't fucking hate these other people, get fucked or fucking hate who I want, right? Then they form themselves into more little underground bands of people and the hatred actually becomes more entrenched. The thing about free speech is that sometimes you have to sometimes tolerate or you don't have to tolerate it, you can switch it off but you can't completely shut people up to the point of living in a totalitarian state. Because, yes, we could make it so that anyone commits thought crime is dragged off to a gulag and punished for the rest of their life, right? We could turn it into, the, into a society where no one can break laws. We could microchip people. We could do all of that sort of stuff. And therefore, we could make a, a society that is so um, like clean and, and homogenized because anyone who in, has any slight infraction is dragged off to a gulag and never seen again. Like we could designate a whole country as a prison. And once you've crossed the line, off you go, no one ever sees you again, right? So that the ones left behind are in this perfectly crimeless society. But what price do you pay for law and order? You know, what price do you actually pay? Because that's 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 the thing about this, right? It's it, it's ridiculous. I listen to people spout out nonsense all the time that I don't agree with, but in a way, I'm happier to have them spouting it out in the open, where you can kind of see it. Like, if I take a detour, detour the other week, Bob Catter's Australia Party had this woman who came out, and she was running for the seat of such and such in up in the country blocks. And she had likened homosexuals to pedophiles. Oh, it's like pedophile. And of course, everyone was up in arms and demanded she resign, which she did do. And and people, you know, like I'm disgusted that people could still think like that. Um, but am I missing the point? Because I sit there and I think, but a lot of people do think like that. You know, go along to any sort of happy clappy church kind of get the parishioners alone for a while where they don't think the eyes of Big Brother is looking on them, and then you might find a lot of them actually do think that, okay? They do think that, and it doesn't make them right, because they're not right, because pedophilia is one of these things. It's not sort of homosexual. I mean, pedophilia exists in sort of a heterosexual sense where people abuse children of the opposite sex, right? But but the thing is, the, there are people out there who do think that, you know, if they're like really, really churchy and stuff and God hates homosexuals and they're all child molesters. Now, no amount of legislation will actually change those people's minds. Okay, maybe in a few years those people will die off and and a new generation of people will come through who, who are more, shall we say, grounded and more kind of able to be rational in their minds. But in the meantime... Those people exist, you know, that's organizations like the Ku Klux Klan and and all of this stuff. And so the unfortunate thing is you pass laws to stop people acting in certain ways that could harm other people. But at some point you have to draw the line where you've got to realize that, you know, it's not 1984 and there are going to be people out there who at times hold beliefs that you or I or others might find incredibly distasteful. But in a way, in a way, it's kind of better that 
like that woman came out and said that at least she said it so you knew sort of where you stood you know because if you legislate and do all this stuff right then you have people who still believe that they still feel that way but they kind of get savvy and they go well i feel like this right but i'm not going to say anything because then i'd be coming out and showing my hand so what i'll do is i'd still soon as like get my little position of power and i'll say whatever I think people expect me to say, and then I'll get into power, and then I'll just act in accordance to how I feel. But I'll say something totally different. You see? See, it's, it, I blame Gillard in a way. Like, this is what's going on at the moment with this bullshit about this, this, these so-called new proposed laws. So on one hand, oh, I'm an atheist and I'm this and I'm that and I'm terribly whatever, right? Uh, but then in the next breath, she then says to religious organisations, oh, you can still discriminate, don't worry, we'll, we'll exclude you from the code. And even at the start of this article, as I remember, they, they, the government themselves are also immune from their own legislation because then, see, they can get up in Parliament like in Coward's Castle and in Coward's Castle, you can say pretty much whatever you want. You're not threatened any, any other legal things because you're in Parliament and you have parliamentary privilege. You can say things in there that if you then went out in the street and repeated them, you could be fined or sued or whatever. But in there, you can say whatever you like. And then it's the onus of whoever it is to make you retract your statement. So you then can still get up and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I said, well, it turns out I was wrong. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. And that's where it ends. You can't be sued for it, you see. See, to me, and, and it's funny, isn't it? Because it's weird. When the right wing sort of more parties get in, you expect them to have the more draconian laws. But you forget, with Labour, you think, oh, yeah, Labour, yeah, like touchy-feely of the people. Wow, yeah, yeah, they're for, like, everybody's freedoms. But that's not always the case. And sometimes if you look back over laws that have been passed in, in this country, you expect, to, oh, yeah, that probably would have been the Liberal... Because in Australia, our Liberal Party is the Conservative Party. Okay, They're more the Conservatives. They call themselves Liberal, but they're more to the right. Labour's supposedly more to the left. So there's a lot of stuff where you think, oh, yeah, that would have been a Liberal government would have brought that fucking law in or whatever. And it's quite surprising a lot of the time you realise, oh, actually, no, it wasn't. Because, you know, if you go back to Bob Hawke and his Labour Party, you know, Bob Hawke was this larrikin, you know, <laughs> drinking larrikin, womanising, yeah, it's all a fucking big party, right? And people always remember Hawkey as like, you know, he was the man, and he was like one of us. He's a trade union leader, and he was this, and he was he was one of us, was Hawkey. But what you then remember is, well, hang on a minute. He was the one who wanted to bring in the Australia card, which everyone had to have, otherwise you would be a non-citizen of the country. And on the Australia card would be all your details and everything everyone knew about you. And, of course civil liberties groups and jumped up and down and, and screamed because it was like, no way. And there were things sprayed up on walls. If Bob's numbering Australians, then Bob's days are numbered. So you have to sometimes remember that, uh, that putting the so-called party of the workers in 
is not always a great idea. You see, I'm, I'm a bit of a swinging voter myself for these sorts of reasons, because sometimes it really is like Douglas Adams said, you've, you've got to vote, you've got to make sure you don't vote for the wrong lizard. They're all lizards, but you've got to make sure the wrong one doesn't get in. And, you know, not so long ago, if you'd said to me, do you want Tony Abbott as your prime minister? I would have said, oh, fuck no. But quite frankly, now I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking, yes, because, <laughs> okay, like Tony Abbott, for example, he's a, a churchy Catholic type, straight sort of whatever, right? You know, and, and us long ears and that look at people like him and go, oh, fucking hell, here we go, prayers in schools, it'll be the whole fucking nine yards. Because he will, he'll support all that shit, right? But at least with him, he's kind of not as afraid to come out and say it. Yes, this is what this is who I am, right? I'm Tony Abbott. I am kind of right wing, that's true. I am kind of a fuddy duddy. I do say things that sometimes people aren't that over the moon about. Yes, I want to abolish unemployment for people under thirty. I expect them to go and go to dusty, filthy locations and get jobs and it's time you all pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and okay. And there's a lot of people look at his other things. Yes, I, well, I don't really approve of abortions for women. But he has come out and said, no, I won't ban it or anything like that. But no, because of my religious beliefs, I'm whatever. And in a way, I kind of look at him and I think, well, maybe you're a darn sight more honest than sort of Gillard and her mob because they come out with the whole touchy-feely, oh, let's be permissive. But the truth is when you look at this bullshit legislation stuff and other things they've done, you realise in so many ways they say one thing and then they do the fucking opposites. And now you get this feeling like they're going to try and silence their detractors. Because under this legislation, probably much of what I've said could be considered offensive, couldn't it? I've, I've basically sort of called you in many ways... I'm calling her sort of like, uh, uh, what is it, a Chardonnay fascist, or oh, you know, a lefty fascist, like an extreme left-right person, because she'll say, "Well, how dare you say we're the party of the people?" And and you know, I I'm very, 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 very suspicious of this. And things as this is just a proposal, I hope basically that she's well and truly fucking swept out of office before this crap takes part. Because I was very disappointed, even with the, uh, you know, the religion in school things with the virus, uh, the, the anti-religious, you know, with the access ministries thing in Victoria, that a Labor government was so touchy-feely and pally with, with them. Because we had whatever her name, Bronwyn Bishop, whoever she, not Bronwyn Bishop, Bronwyn Pike, or whatever her name was, I can't remember. But, you know, even under them, the Labour Party, the um, the Access Ministries really got a good foothold into into our schools, you know. For, for this bunch of sort of people that are supposed to be lefties, the thing that, you see, the thing that bothers me is this left side of politics, when it's allowed to govern sort of unfettered or it's in its death throes it throws up all this crap 
you know, and you start. I start thinking of things like the old Soviet Union, where they always did the same thing. Oh, this is the People's Democratic Republic. This is the People's. Anything that sort of spouts peoples usually means that people are going to be basically fucked up the rectum. You know, it's it's always that way where you just you know, it's it's. I know under Tony Abbott things could get worse, but quite frankly, I think if Julia and a bunch of clowns get another term, things will get worse anyway, and it's sort of like... That's what I think. Anyway, the draft law also proposes sweeping extensions to where discrimination is prohibited... Current law regulates specific groups that might discriminate as such. Oh, yeah, I read that already. However, the draft law, um, I read that. The draft law also dramatically affect the ability of state governments to serve and protect their community. It appears to apply, for example, to responsibilities of police and other law enforcement authorities, such as the pursuit, arrest, transport, detention of suspects, transport and accommodation of prisoners and exercise of discretion by prosecutors. I don't know why that is. If Gillard's government proposal becomes law, police and prison authorities could be hamstrung in their work of protecting the community by a barrage of anti-discrimination claims brought by suspects, offenders and prisoners. The Gillard government proposes to exempt all its own activities authorised under the common law from application of its new laws... However, it proposes no such general exemption for activities authorised under state laws, even through a vast range of state government roles affected by the new law, are crucial for safeguarding the community. I've got no idea what any of that means. The draft law will also create a greatly... Oh, dear, oh, dear. Stop that! I fart in your general direction! The draft law will also create greatly expanded layer of regulation in addition to the existing state anti-discrimination laws with different rules and exemptions of the same type of conduct, producing uncertainty for both of those who've been discriminated against and for those who are trying to comply with the law. Oh, this is going to be a nightmare. In addition, the proposed laws give the Australian Human Rights Commission the power to issue compliance codes. In quotes, that is, compliance codes. That could exceed the standards of the draft law and would operate to override state anti-discrimination laws. Oh my God, fucking hell. All of this involves a massive increase in red tape, not only for business but for voluntary community organisation with directors and office holders facing liability for these sweeping new forms of, quote, discrimination, unquote, by their employees and their volunteers, and also facing a reverse onus requiring them to prove that they or their staff or volunteers did not act in a discriminatory reason. Oh, this is going to be insane. The hardest hit will be small business size, medium sized businesses, and small volunteer run community organisations. To add to the uncertainties, 
There is also doubt, there are also doubts about the constitutional validity of the proposed new law itself. The government relies on its power to implement an international treaty or treaties to justify much of the proposed law. However, as former New South Wales Chief Justice James Spiegelman has said, none of Australia's treaty obligations require us to protect any personal group from being offended. Hallelujah. The law's attempt to restrict state governments in areas such as law enforcement and management of prisoners also seems to be beyond to be beyond the Commonwealth's powers. This flawed and dangerous proposal needs a lot more security and debate before it gets anywhere near the statute book. And that's Robert Clark who wrote that. And he's the Attorney General of Victoria. That's absolutely terrifying, isn't it? Absolutely terrifying. Put another log on the fire. She while I was in Melbourne I had to laugh. We drove past um, this woman who she was. I think she works for the Catholic bookshop because she was just outside and just walking down the road a bit, and she had a T-shirt and it said, "Pray to pray to end abortions." And I thought, well, that's all right. I said to the wife, "Nothing fails like prayer," so I don't think there's going to be an end to abortions. Oh, here's our little prime minister again. Oh dear, oh dear. Oh, there's another article about her there, too. Oh, no. Oh, dear God. As I said, folks, religion's not going away in a hurry. It's not going to go away in a hurry. People, someone was saying, oh, give it 20 years. No, give it fucking 2,000 years and it still won't go. Because, like, as I saw little kids just, you know, in Melbourne, they're just, it's just... It just reinforces itself. They just bring it. The kids get brought up. It starts again. Oh, you know, there's women wandering around in Melbourne in burkas. And, oh, God, I just it's just too much, man. Of course, I'll be in trouble for saying that under the new thing. But, no, religion is a, is a, is a horrible genetic disease that you catch from your parents. And on and on it goes. Um, and here's our lovely Prime Minister again. We've just had all this nonsense. I clicked on this when I was looking at something else. But uh, From theage.com.au. Julia Gillard has been unambiguously ruthless in pushing out long-serving Labor Senator Trish McCrossan in favour of high-profile Aborigine Novus Peris, Nova Peris, who will become Labor's Northern Territory Senator after the election. But leaders are like that. The relevant test must be whether Gillard's action is in the interest of the public and her party. It is in the interest, it is in public interest symbolically and substantially to have more Indigenous representation in our parliaments in Canberra. Well, I think, I think you know, because she's a sports star, Paris, and there, oh, it caused all sorts of things. And we had to laugh because now we're, we're seeing in, uh, I think it mentions it down here, we're starting to see more and more Indigenous people, actually, because the Labor Party always thinks they they have sort of like the the we've got the we've got this covered, you know, when it comes to Indigenous people, we're their best friends. But now we're starting to see more and more Indigenous people actually running for the other side of politics, thus proving in the in the Indigenous community that it's actually they have diverse po- uh, political views as well, and that it's not naturally just hooked up. 
So, so Julia's given Nova Paris the, the door. You know, she's opened the door for her. In you come. You've never been in politics before, but we're going to give you like a little, um, what is it, a green light right the way through. The chances of improving the situation of many Australia's Indigenous people are huge and complex, etc. Uh, it's not a question of money. There's enough of that available. The in- issues are complex. Pathways, elusive and complicated. And having Aboriginal voices in the political forums must be helpful in identifying and pursuing solutions. Having had to break a commitment to a referendum before or at the election to recognise Indigenous people in the Constitution, Gillard definitely wanted to make a significant gesture. I think there's quite a lot of gestures that are coming out of you know they say oh we're going to, we're going to put the government the, the purse strings back into surplus no you didn't you didn't do a lot of that shit so now see now here we are again we're getting the touchy feely stuff if nova paris really wants to run for politics she should do it in the way that all other most or most others have had to do it she needs to be given a little seat like in a swinging area or one again you sort of need to prove yourself because already there were people crying out about various business things that she was involved in and stuff that didn't run smoothly. <sighs> you know, come on. But she would have not risked a bitter party row if she did not believe there could be some direct political gain, yes, for her in an election year. That's what I reckon too. The ALP got a big wake-up call when there were strong swings against it amongst most Indigenous voters last year in the Northern Territory election in which it lost government. You see see how cynical this is? You see how cynical this is? You know, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of Indigenous people have run for the other parties, and I'm quite sure, you know, they sort of had to run on their own merits. They actually had to impress the party. Look, I want to run. I want to be priest. I want to do this. I, I, I've got the runs on the board. Here I was. I've helped out community do this, 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 and this. No, none of this green light sort of nonsense. Not, not in my opinion anyway. I don't know. I don't know the whole thing. Okay, the country Liberal Party made good use of its local Indigenous candidates. Labor knows the days when it could rely on the Australian Aboriginal vote are gone. Paris is a shoe in in the Northern Territory Senate contest. The proportional representation system ensures the territory returns one senator from the ALP and the CLP. But the lower house of Lingari, held by Minister Warren Snowden, which covers the Northern Territory outside Darwin, is vulnerable. In brackets, Tony Abbott tried to get the Northern Territory Indigenous politician and Alison Anderson to run for the CLP, but it ended in failure and sparked criticism of him. Here we go, from figures in the then CLP government. Labor's Lingari margin is less than 4%. Whoa, swinging, baby! <laughs> I could have made a joke more swinging than at a lynching, but I suppose things is, that might be considered racist, wouldn't it? Okay, more swinging than a Glenn Miller dance bit. He did lots of swing stuff, didn't he? Good. Better be careful. Better be careful what I say under the new things. A throwaway gag like that might be uh, might be considered. Yes, it might. A notable Indigenous Senate candidate might be helpful with this vote. Now, on the other hand, the Indigenous community is fractured, and there's potential for the move to backfire badly. Paris was not a party member until Wednesday. <laughs> there are many Aboriginal women who are. She's being portrayed by the by the critics as 
compliant. Worse, rumours are being spread to discredit her. These have forced her to issue a statement denying the su- uh, suggestion that she misused... Oh, here we go. That's the thing they were talking about. That she misused Northern Territory Education Department furniture. Oh, what did she do with it? <laughs> well, that, I'm always telling my kids, stop swinging on the chair. Stop it. Um... In so far the moving when the ALP candidates from across the nation gather in Canberra or Canberra as we call it on Sunday week to hear from the Prime Minister and the ALP National Secretary George Wright, the message will be get active locally now in caps. Given Labor's overall vulnerability, the party is trying to place sandbags. Oh, it's trying to play sandbags seat by seat wherever possible. The question of whether Gillard's political execution of Crossan brings her more costs than benefits. And it goes on and on and on. So it looks like we're suffering a little bit of token. It seems to me, it sounds to me like there's a lot of, um, like there's a lot of desperation in the air. There's a lot of desperation. We're just... We're desperately trying to um, to shore things up, and usually that's pretty much the death throes for anything. When is our next general election? Oh, well, they don't know till they call it, do they? Ah, oh, dear idea. What a happy week it's turned out to be. Mmm, rice. Rice, ice, baby. Stumbleupon.com Um... The news that the Boy Scouts of America were considering to allowing gay members sent evangelical radio host Brian Fisher into an apoplectic apoplectic mood on Tuesday. Never heard him before. Is he American? This is just unbelievable to me, Fisher told co-host Fred Jackson. There's a suicide mission on the part of the Boy Scouts. They're done. They're toast. They're history. The organisation's national board is reportedly considering doing away with its mandatory ban on LGBT scouts or scout leaders in favour of letting individual organisations determine their membership guidelines. The change in long-standing scouts policy was allegedly called for by individual chapters. Well, I would have said there already probably are homosexual members of the Boy Scouts, it's just people don't talk about it. Considering there will be homosexual people in in every role of every life, really everywhere, wouldn't there? I mean, there are gay pastors and preachers and people who who just keep stum about it. Oh, just don't say nothing about it. Um, as he said, the chance of future scout troops could have homosexual members, Fisher said, would discourage him as a father from enrolling a son in the organisation. So he would sooner have them there and no one knows they're there and then he would feel much more comfortable enrolling his son there. So it could all be sort of like the hidden agenda sort of thing. You see, it's a bit like it's a bit like when people used to say, if you're gay, just keep it quiet if you're a male. Like, just marry a woman anyway. Go along with it. Don't say anything. Which, of course, in the end may, means more heartbreak, doesn't it? Really, you don't really have to understand homosexuality to say... 
Well, it's there. It's always been there. It's hardly likely to just suddenly go away. And if we brush it under the carpet, then we create another subclass of people. It would be better to be open and to... See, this is what I'm saying. See, I'm saying this about the other thing where people spout off stuff. Sometimes it's better that people spout off these things. Because then it's not... See, we don't... We Do we really need any more hidden agendas? We can't get along with each other. People cannot get along with each other. I think it's just part. I think it's just part of us as people. We don't get along with each other. We always got some sort of wall. It, religion's not going away in a hurry. Have I said that today already? It, it's not. We it, and sort of it doesn't really matter. Even if we did away with it, we'd still be bitching and fighting about something or another. It's just part of the human condition. I'm sure of it. See, doing this podcast is really, it's, it's, um, it's sort of in some ways shaken my beliefs about a lot. Of, you know, I used to think, oh, yes, this will be this and this will be that. And the more I get into it, the more confused I am by it all, really. I sort of, sometimes I, sort of, I think sometimes, does it really matter what any of us do? <laughs> it, doesn't make a, it doesn't make a damn hill of beans. And if we don't work out this traveling faster than the speed of light nonsense... And we don't get off this planet. Eventually the sun will just expand. It'll just eat us up. And that'll be the end of us anyway. And was, I think Douglas Adams did say it really didn't matter what any of us do. It didn't make a damn bit of difference. And now I've got an itchy back. Hang on. I'll screw my back with it. It's a bit of a, a bit of a strange show this week. I don't know. I'm not really... I don't know if I'll even bother releasing it so far. I don't think I've heard anything that's worth talking about so far. Still, my three dedicated fans, Dominic, what's her name, and, and Christiana and Simon, will still listen. Are your lives that empty, guys? Um, and I've, I've figured I want to, I'm still trying to talk Maynard into coming on, and I'm think, I think I've got a couple of topics that might interest him coming on. I think we should go with, were we really happier in the 80s? And what about what's woo with you? That'd be pretty good. Um, yeah, and and why does he like Can't Stop the Music so much? I'm pretty sure that film was only a, was only ever a commercial success in Australia. I thought the rest of the world hated it. Um, he did a good podcast, though. The, the, the one before his last, Maynard's Malaise. A really good podcast from the last one. Just be, I haven't heard the music of Tam yet. That's released. But the one before that, he interviews the dude, the dude from Right Said Fred. You know, amateur sexy for the one that um, Borat really likes in my country, Kazakhstan. I'm too sexy is too sexy for, and that he did a good interview with. Him. It's really good actually. I want to interview Nick Kershaw too. By the way. I've been looking at his site, and there's a contact thing there, and I, I was I really liking Nick Kershaw back in the '80s, and I'm I'm just wondering how the best way to approach him would be to um, to um, to approach it. Like, how do you fudge it and say, "Look, I've only got a few hundred listeners, and you really don't need me, and I need you more than you need me." But I really like to talk to you because I think very, he was a really good musician. Because a lot of that stuff in the '80s, you know, as um, the guys from Squeeze said. Uh, a lot of hits were put out by bands that were really no more than Ponzi hairdressers who just got lucky. And if you listen to Nick Kershaw's stuff, it's actually it's actually quite complex in its makeup. 
Like there's some pretty funky bass lines going on in there playing over the top of the chords, which kind of give the impression that there are chord changes when there sort of aren't chord changes because of the way the bass... Look, you had to be there. But anyway, um, I should just fire him off an email, shouldn't I, and say, come on, please let me interview you via Skype for the podcast. Don't listen to any of my previous shows because you'll get the wrong idea and think that I'm a fucking idiot. But, you know... Um, Fisher said, there's no, back to stumble upon, there's a risk there, hang on, Um, uh, no, we know male home, according to this preacher, Brian Fisher, we know that male homosexuals offend against children roughly at 10 times the rate of heterosexuals. Do we really know that? He says we know it. Hasn't really backed it up with anything. Well, he says that anyway, um... I don't know if that's true. It wouldn't seem to be, because I, I think we'd hear about it more in the news, unless, of course, it's some sort of um, cover-up by the Illuminati, I suppose. Um, Fisher said offering... Oh, here we go. Offering no source for this information. There you go. There's a, the risk. There's a risk there. It's just insanity that they're relaxing the standard, said Fisher who also alluded to the Scouts' effort to cover up what they refer to as perversion files. Confidential documents listing sexual abuse by Scoutmasters. I have actually heard of that, though. I did hear about that. They Didn't they? I heard about that somewhere, that they had covered it up. Um, revising their membership policy now, he said, was tantamount to an invasion for predators. Yeah, but but then in America they've always had those predators. I mean, that's where like child predators do go to those sorts of various places because they can hide behind the veneer of respectability whilst getting up to nefarious things. You see, so it's prob it's probably worse by keeping it all secretive, really. Whereas if it was probably more open, then as more of an open sort of society thing, it would be harder for people because there'd be more eyes focused I don't know don't ask I don't I don't know I don't know to me it's just suicidal Fred said Fred to me it's just suicidal Fred he told Jackson before repeating they're finished they're done there is not a loving father in America from this day forward uh, there is not a loving father in America that ever, 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 ever sought, ought, sorry, ought to entrust his son to the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, and it says you can watch his rants posted online by Right Wing Watch on Tuesday. Hang on, I need to plug in. On which computer have I got that on? The other one. Um, if I unplug, hang on, wait a minute. If is that lead, is that lead still in there? No, that lead's not in there anymore. Of course, it's not. That would be too sensible, wouldn't it? That I'd have it up on the wrong monitor. Of course, I would. Hang on, but if I unplug this, no, that's no good either. I can't do that. What about that lead there? What if I pull on that? What happens if I pull on that? I'll keep pulling on that. Oh, that's oh, that's the one attached to. I don't even know what that's attached to. I'm really out of sorts today now. I think I'm just talking. I think I'm pretty much just talking to myself. This 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 episode should kill off whatever. Oh, that's no good either. That's a mini jack to a big jack. I'll press stop. Hang on. I'm H A P P Y. I'm sure I am. I know. Go shake me a little thing here. I couldn't find the one lead that does it in one go. 
Oh, that's no good either, that one. Oh, man, come on. What's that one? I'm sure I am, I know I am. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. Come on, RCA, RCA to phone. Stupid thing is I know I've got lots of them that are all just in one piece. But I can't seem to find them. Oh, that'll do. Plug that into channel four, hang on. Let's have a listen to his rant. I hope it's in mono because I've only got one channel working. Um, I have to stop and press this. Okay, I've pressed it. All right, let's have a listen to this idiot. But the Boy Scouts are Here we signaling go. we don't have a problem if you open up your local organization to homosexuals. This is, I'll tell you, Fred, this is just unbelievable. Yeah, more. This, this, this is a suicide mission on uh -huh. the part of the Boy Scouts. They're done. They're, they're toast. They're toast. They're history. History. If I'm a dad and I've got a young man, <laughs> I mean, there's no way in the world I'm going to take that chance. You know, because yeah. we know that homosexuals offend against male children. Male homosexuals mm -hmm. offend against children at roughly ten times the rate that heterosexuals offend roughly. against young children. Roughly. So with... there's a risk there. I mean, it's, it's just insanity that they are uh, relaxing this standard because what it's going to mean, I mean, they just, and Fred, they just spent years trying to... Uh -huh. Court cases. Court cases <laughs> trying to keep confidential all of the steps that they had taken uh -huh. to try to keep pedophiles away from young boys. Mm -hmm. And now they're just throwing in the towel and say, y'all come. Y'all! So if you're in a Boy Scout uh, district or council mm. that has no problem with homosexual scout masters, yeah. no problem with homosexual scout leaders, yeah. no problem with homosexuals bunking down with your kid at Jamboree. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, to me, I mean, it's just suicidal. I mean, I, I think, Fred, they're finished. They're done. There is, But they haven't actually done anything wrong yet. So, um... <clears throat> but it's not a crime to be gay. Bunking down with, so I don't know. So instead, you have them bunking down if people don't disclose who they are, and then they're bunking down anyway. And then what happens with the? Because oh, I suppose in America it's Boy Scouts, isn't it? See, in Australia now you can be a scout and a cub, and you can be of either gender or maybe a bit of both. Because but boys can't join the girl guides here, but uh, girls can join. Because when my kid started to be there were girls oh I thought, that's rather unusual and then at school when they had the sleepover there were girls and boys all sleep the teachers were sleeping well no they weren't sleeping with them but they were all sleeping in the same room in their individual little sleeping bags and then yeah so in the same room but there wasn't there was no funny business not a hang on loving father in America from oh. this day forward there is not one loving father in America that ever 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 entrust his son to the Boy Scouts of America and then it says right oh, this is posted by rightwingwatch.org a project of people for the American way Oh, it's pretty dramatic music, isn't it? Hang on, what's this on YouTube? Let's see what else they've posted about people. 
Um, how many? Oh, 1,200 videos. I can't cope. Six, 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 six. If you open up your local organization Hang on. to homeless Sorry, sorry. Stop. You, Stop. Thank you. All right. Well, that's the American Boy Scouts Association. Oh, jeez. What a fickin'. Hey, we had this coming over Australia Day. This is good. Listen to this. This is from Dick Smith. I like this. It's quite funny. Oh, hang on. How do you play it again? Oh, here we go. This is the ad that so-called... Oh, fruit. That's loud. Don't do that. This is the ad that got... Well, not banned, but they couldn't put it in a G spot, if you'll pardon the expression. They had to put it in a PG spot, not a G spot. G'day, Dick Smith. Oh, oh, jeez. Gonna turn him down. He's louder than the rednecks. G'day, Dick Smith here. On Australia Day, some people use jingoistic patriotism to flog their products. Struth, I never do that. That's as wrong as a dead dingo's dunga. Australia's best-selling sauce, peanut butter and spread are no longer Aussie-owned and ship profits overseas. They're no more Australian than this Szechuan spotted dick. There's only one dick I'll be eating on Australia Day. Chow down on my Aussie nuts, shake my Aussie sauce, spread my Aussie might, eat my yummy bush food cereals, spreads and beetroot. When you buy any Dick Smith food product, you support Aussie farmers on the land. And the funny thing is, he's, he's, they've shown him with a farmer, but he's not actually with the farmer. He's superimposed over the top. And then he's on a beach where these boat people come along and take a jar of dick, dick butter off him. And he's not even on the beach with them either. He's superimposed. But you know, I'll, put the, I'll, I'll, I'll post the link in the show notes so you can see it yourself. I love dick. Oh, sorry. What? what? <laughs> you want to watch out that Brian Fisher bloke won't like you saying that. You won't let you be a scoutmaster if you say that. And keep Aussie workers in jobs. I love Dick. And the taste is a beauty. This is where they, you see the boat burning in the horizon and then all these foreign chappies and people done up in various things walking up to Dick about to grab his jar off him. Hang on. This is a beauty. Why else would thousands be trying to get here? I love Mr Dick. So don't be a drongo, a yobbo or a dero. Be patriotic. And buy Dick Smith Foods this Australia Day and every day to give our kids a future. All Dick Smith Foods profits go to charity. Good on you, Dick. That's Dick. So when they say don't be a dick, we say in Australia, do be a dick. Um, someone put on the uh, Facebook, sad thing is the majority of Australians prefer to shop at Coles. Well, of course we do, because status quo do their commercials which is replacing all its stuff with house brands. Yeah, coals may be cheap now, but that's only a short-term solution. After we have no farmland or industry left, Asia will dictate the price of imports, and everything in caps will be expensive. Buy local products like Dick, which support um, the Australian industry, or kiss kiss Dick goodbye. Oh, no, sorry, or kiss the long-term, long-term stability of this country goodbye. Um, buy my shit, but don't eat it. Someone said, we're overpopulated, you dimwits. He's a typical dipshit. <laughs> Someone calling themselves dickhead ego trip. Vegemite tastes better, I believe. Um, someone called Craig Anderson. All his profits are donated to Australians that need help. I don't see you trying to make Australia a better place, so don't try and exercise your strategic foresight in free marketing and advertising with little more insight and research, you duffer. Love your work, Dick. Nice to see someone still has a sense of humour. 
Who doesn't love to eat dick, said, said Max Deutsch. Aussie, 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 oi, 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 Ricky Lee, jerk. Ricky Lee, fucking nationalism. Um, didn't know I was employed. I didn't know I was unemployed. A bogan, a racist, a redneck hick. Grow a sense of humour. Um, someone called Amanda Hug and Kiss. Fucking stray pride, cunt. I'll be living off dick till the day I die. I think that's the first time I've used the C word in this podcast too, in the entire... You want to hear that word a lot? Listen to a podcast called Something for the Drive Home. It's every second word. And Something for the Drive Home is really a podcast about nothing. And when I first heard it, because they're friends with Steel Saunders and stuff when we did the um, Arthur Coma thing. And when I first heard it, I thought, holy shit, this is, what the fuck is this about? And now I'm listening to them like I wouldn't, like you wouldn't believe. I just keep listening to them and I don't know why. <laughs> Here we go. Creative engineer. I admit Dick Smith himself is not responsible for the demise of the company under Woolworths. Woolworths executives know fuck all about electronics. Because Dick Smith sold his um, Dick Smith Electronics to to Woolworths, you see. Woolworths executives know fuck all about electronics. They would not even know what a resistor is. I don't know what it is either. Resist, resist, peasants, or else. And you can buy any electronic components there now. Dick Smith has become Dick Smith Electronics has become a joke. All they sell now is toys for wankers and fuckwits. Actually, that's sort of fairly true. Unfortunately for Smith, his name is associated with a total fuck up. Samuel Cobbin. So he's made a lot of money and can afford luxury items. How is that relevant at all? What more doesn't? What What's more, he doesn't profit from all the food products as he donates the profits. Here's the C word again from ex-Bex. Straya, cunt. Straya. Um, the dreadful director. Well, that was fucking weird. Australian rules, said Tomahawk Greg. So fuck you, Americans. Redback said, best Australian ad to hit Australia. HJPVTV. Good on your deck. I'm a massive fan of what you have to say. Don't let the advertiser or commercial TV hold you back. The truth will always get out no matter how you put it. Whatever happened to dickhead matches? Can you still get them? I dragged an old box out that I'd kept from many years ago. Very witty, Mr. Smith. You are a true Australian. I mean, who is more Australian than Cooper's Creek f- than a Cooper's Creek ferry driver? Even I don't know what that means. Than the Cooper's Creek ferry driver. I don't feel I'm going anywhere this week for some reason. Yeah, so first day back at school today after all those holidays, eh? House seemed eerily quiet, although he did go off to um holiday program, I suppose. That kept us quiet. Cooper Creek carried its first official map of the Cooper Creek Ferry. Cooper Creek Ferry is located on the Birdsville Track in northeast South Australia. A distance, Dick Smith I'd like to interview too, uh, about 700 kilometres north from Adelaide. Cooper Creek Ferry is at an altitude of nine, nine metres above sea level. That's not very much, is it? Cooper Creek Ferry is one of the northmost localities in South Australia. The nearest ocean is the Southern Ocean, about 440 kilometres west southwest of Cooper Creek Ferry. Cooper Creek Ferry is on the Cooper Creek. Gee, that seems like a good place to keep it, doesn't it? 
the nearest, more populous place of the village of Lee Creek, which is 230 kilometres away, with a population of around about 630. That's a whole load of nothing. Um, Dick Smith. Hypocrite. No, I'm completely offended at this racist bit. At this racist bit. But no hypocrisy from old Dicky boy there. The sexual innu innuendo holes should have stuck out like dog's balls and been exercised very easily. Good on you, Dick, says someone. Dick, you've always been a hero of mine and still am. For goodness sake, sanitise the ad for the wanker do-gooders, PCs, and get it to air. I'm happy to kick in ten bucks or more if necessary. Yeah, but if he does that, he won't have much else of an ad, will he? It'll just be, buy Dick Smith peanut butter. What's the difference between Dick and peanut butter? Dick doesn't always stick to the roof of your mouth. Although sometimes it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, Anti-carbon tax. Hello, nice to meet you. This ad is about helping Aussie farmers and eat what grows on this land. What is wrong with that? Oh, there's a police sign. In September 53, I bought a diode. 1953. Did Dick start up in 53, did he? Shit. He's an old Dick then, isn't he? Uh, no wonder he looks a little flaccid at times. I bought a diode from Dick Smith Electronics. Brought it home. And it was just a stick of licorice. <laughs> oh, God. I tried to return it, but they wouldn't listen. The employee responsible just pushed me over and slept with my girlfriend. <laughs> Finkelhurst wrote this. I was about to say, this isn't serious, is it? Now I realise it is. Diodes in those days cost the, <laughs> cost the equivalent of $200,000 in today's money. And I'm still paying off the loan. And it wasn't even very good licorice. Mark my words, never trust anything with the Dick Smith brand. Um, yeah, they always carry on about how Dick Smith sold his electronic thing to Woolworths. He's never been like that. As well as supporting Dick, stop voting Labour, said Zammy Rob. Liberals and Greens traitors who have sold the country down the drain to big corporations. Right. I suppose the Liberal government's never ever done that, have they? These governments could disallow the foreign buying of our farmland, but they all sit there mute. Not an ounce of guts or honesty in any of these deceiving cowards. This is according to Zami Rob. See, I get, I get a bit pissed off about that myself. Recently here we had the potato farmers up in arms with McCain, who were... Uh, not offering them as much money as they said they needed. And then there's been a few sort of potato farmers have been shutting down shop and, and just stepping aside from McCain for the moment and just talking about business in general. Because, um, you know, we hear all this stuff in our media where we're ploughing orange trees back into the ground because we're buying frozen concentrate from China. And... Um, you know, you hear about this stuff all the time with land going off the off the thing. And I always say that really farms, even though they're privately owned, are as much infrastructure as what, like, the railways is and the roads and the things. And should there be a war, should there be another bloody war comes along or um, some sort of economic, you know, thing that, or, I don't know, let's say some country sinks into the ocean 
and then suddenly we've got to start feeding ourselves, we may not have the infrastructure to do that. Because like before WW2, Britain, I believe, was importing like 80% of its foodstuffs from everywhere else. And then the war came with all the shipping lines being cut off by those dreaded Nazis and people and then and, and food being needed for the troops at the front. They had to start up the Ministry of, what was it, the Ministry of Food and, and, and Eat-In Things. And people had to be given sacks of seed and rabbits to keep in their backyard, which you could screw their necks and have rabbit stew and working out ways of making parsnips taste like banana. When Britain realised, oh shit, we've been importing a lot of our own stuff, now we actually have to feed ourselves. And I often have to say, folks, that I do worry about that a little bit in this day and age. And you tell young people these things, you say, you know, in my day, <laughs> we had to boil up shoes to make bacon. And and, and uh, shoelaces tasted a lot like licorice if you blocked your nose. And um, saying that, you know, if things turn bad, there won't be a McDonald's on every corner because they won't be able to get the supplies of food through. And we could have ration books and things. And they look at you like, what's this fucking idiot going on about? And and that's why I sort of do look at the things where I say we you, we should trade with the world. Of course we should. It's a wild and wacky place out there, and we all get along so well, don't we, really? Um, but, you know, at the same time, governments who are absolutely piss-weak assholes, and I say that lovingly, do allow shit to go on where they'll allow things to be bought over and take over, or they'll allow something to be shut down and say, oh, well, too bad for that. Um because they don't want to tread on anybody's toes. Um, but the truth is that they're supposed to look after the people, and they're also sort of supposed to look at sometimes, not that I want to be negative, but worst-case scenarios, where if suddenly we were cut off from the rest of the world, could we feed ourselves? Is it really a wise idea to be ploughing all these orange trees under the ground or sending farmers broke off the land? When times of trouble come, governments and people usually sort of, you know, they commandeer farms and stuff like they do in wartime. And they say to the farmer, right, we need you to, here's some workers for you and people, and you need to produce this amount of stuff for the war effort, like. And it doesn't have to be a war, it can be a lot of things. And so I do think at times we are really stupid and politicians are, that no one, they never want to do anything unpopular. Oh, no, better not. And then they'll they'll do this and let sort of like smaller enterprises go to the wall. But then like with the car industry, they'll go, oh, here's, here's X amount of millions and millions of dollars so that we can save, say, 300 jobs uh, trying to convince ourselves that we should be competing, making cars in a world that churns out cars. But then on the other hand, when it comes to like our foodstuffs and things that are really, really important – and all farmers and people, we go, ah, oh, well, that's just the free market economy. So, if, you know, if they all get driven off the land and things are stuffed, that's all right because that's free market economy. So sometimes I do wonder where their priorities are. But then what would I know? I'm just some long-haired, burned-out idiot who really knows nothing, really, do I? I mean, really. And as I said, does it really make an ounce of difference what we do anyway? If I'm 48 years old now, and if I live another 20 years, I'll be lucky. I'll be dead, and the ones that are younger than me that are listening to this tribe, you'll still be alive, and it'll be your problem. Uh, Rick Oshet, how is it true that you can flog a patriotic horse and at the same time do developing products 
that jeopardises the well-being of people, said Rick Ockhet. I put it to Dick Smith that the products were selected from sheer mathematics, not from the love of a nation. The former electronic store manufactured its products. Where? The entire campaign is referred to as nation washing. Cobber, go pull the wool under someone else's eyes. Solray wrote, good on your dick. Tell it like it is. Even Coles bringing in rebranded frozen food from New Zealand, originally coming from China. And we hear that a lot, actually. They say when it's stamped made in New Zealand, it's often made in China. China. How long can these hungry profit makers be in Coles and Woolworths? The Kiwis are happy creating jobs rebranding frozen peas from China. They don't have to eat them as they're exporting to Australia to bring in foreign currency. I refuse to buy Vegemite or any other foreign-owned foods that can be manufactured here. The money stays here. <sighs> Chocolate Mudcake writes, Dick is being honest and upfront. Yes, everyone likes their dick up front. Best place for it. Is that a smith in your pocket or are you just happy to see us? <laughs> there are individuals in history that see wrongs and attempt... To, I, don't, I haven't recorded Nev this week either. I've got no idea what to do with him. Uh, an attempt to correct them while see, seeking sub, public support thing. If the public are too lazy or greedy of the benefits from that wrong to help, then the shining light will be dim for 15, 10 to 15 years and then go out. Oh. Dick, I commend your voice actions and investment to protect Australia, but the public aren't ready. Recoup what you can, but don't sacrifice yourself any further, Dick. It's no skin off your dick, Dick. It will have to be done the hard way. I love Dick, said someone else. Inex Inexanadu3 said, Don't be suckers, people. This ad was clearly designed from the beginning to go viral. Being censored, unquote, quote, was all part of the plan so he doesn't have to pay for TV advertising costs. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. You're right. And good on him, too. If you like or share this, then you're just being manipulated by Dick Smith into doing exactly what he wants. Advertise his products for him for free. Yes, but they donate them all to charity. So what? What do you want poor old Dick to do? He can't compete against the, the uni levers and the tyre levers and the sit-round-the-campfire levers. Um, Google Dick Smith population reduction and take your pick from all his crazy bit-list Chinese-style child caps on Australia that he wants. He wants to force you not to have a family or be taxed if you do. So basically, only the rich deserve to breed. Oh, to breed, I think they mean. While the rest of the scum subhuman shouldn't be allowed or punished if they do. It's all in his own writings. He rants about global warming and population reduction while saying his own consumption will make no measurable difference. Hypocrite! In... Um, in capital letters, although he spelt it hypocrite. Ah, good old Aussie humour. Love it. 
Uh, Dick Smith, anti-carbon tax, Herald Sun newspaper. He has a holiday house with a farm with a homestead and a large house with a swimming pool, two cars, a steam train, and all that owning three separate households in tails. Oh, so he's got a fair bit of an upkeep then. It's not cheap, you know, owning all that stuff. Money becomes a burden after a while. You know that, don't you? He's very open, but for some reason refuses to confirm just how many aircraft he owns. There are at least two helicopters and a jet. Elitist hypocrite. Oh, that is how you spell hypocrite, isn't it? Smith objects that cutting back on his joys, joy rides, would make no measurable difference. And change really had to come from governments. And that's the glory of, that's the story of Dick. Anyway, so Dick's, Dick's dragging on the ground from after all those things, I think. I love helicopter jelly. Helicopter jelly loves me. It's silky and so smooth. It's always gaining altitude. Great flavours make us proud. It's bound to pull the crowd. Helicopter jelly is the best. Better than any other jelly, I attest. So stick some in your fridge. It's real rigid. And share it with your mates and keep this country great. I love helicopter jelly. Yeah, blue. Helicopter jelly loves me. Oh, helicopter jelly loves me. From Dick Smith Foods. Um, what else have I got up here? Oh, from the Telegraph Co. UK. I can create, I can create Neanderthal or Neanderthal baby. I just need a willing woman. <laughs> a scientist has said it would be possible to clean, clean, clown, clone a Neanderthal, Neanderthal baby from an ancient DNA bits if he could find a woman willing to act as a surrogate. Yes, I don't think you should have too much problem. Just get in the pub on a Saturday night when they're all pissed, mate. They'll say yes to anything. <gasps> That's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? I shall be chased down now and beaten senseless. Perhaps only in certain suburbs, okay? Sorry. 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 <clears throat> but the thing is, if it was from Neanderthal DNA, when you go to the child support agency and you write name of deadbeat dad... <laughs> What address do you put down? His name was Ugg. He lived in a cave just near, where is it? I don't know, Mesopotamia. Phone number, not applicable. Mobile, not applicable. And you're naming him as the dad? Yes, I am. Sorry. 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 See, um, that's the thing I find with a lot of the podcast, atheistic podcasts, is they're all trying to be terribly politically correct. They wouldn't make a joke like that. And now I shall be chased down and bashed. But that's all right. I don't really care. Um, Because I am quite old-fashioned. I admit that I am old-fashioned. I know I listen to all the others, and they're all, like, terribly PC in their thing. And you must believe this if you don't believe that. And you have to do this if you don't have to do that. And sometimes I find myself at odds, because sometimes I question certain things, and I go, well, really? You know, like, really? Like, I'm not really against anybody or anything, but sometimes I, I feel like we're being, you are, you do get railroaded into, if you buy into one sort of argument, like if you say, okay, like I'm an atheist because, not because I hate God, but just simply because I don't really have any evidence to suggest there is one. And, and that's where it ends, you see. And then people say, yes, but you can't hold that 
thing and then have these other views about other stuff. It's politically incorrect. And I go, how did we get into, how did, how, what? So I hear other things sometimes and then I think, oh, shit, like, you know, then I, I believe in this other stuff. Well, I don't believe in other stuff. It's just that I have my opinions about other stuff. And the thing about some opinions is you can be wrong or seem to be wrong, but they could be your opinion. You know what I mean? I'm not saying we should vilify or hate anybody or this sort of thing, but sometimes, you know, you have certain opinions and then you think, oh, God, I've gone and said that now. And now people all, all, all think certain things of me, you know? Because, like, I, I can only go sometimes from my own experience and then people go, well, that's no good because that's your own confirmation bias. That's just because what you've seen, you know, that's just what you've seen. So it must be wrong because that's the way the human mind works. And you have to go with the collective, man. So if we say, like, you know, crystals are for healing, you can't say... I think that's bullshit, you know, because then I hear some things and then something, I thought, oh, that's got merit. Like, for example, like, for example, right, I said, um, was, they were talking about Elton John, you know, and I don't know if this is true, because it might not be, because um, someone said with the first kid him and his partner, was it David had, that somebody quoted Elton John, and I don't know if this is true where they said, what about, like, the birth mother? Will the kid have anything to do with them? And then they said, no, nothing to do with her. It's this, whatever. But I don't know if that was Elton John, but, it's, but, but I've heard other people, like even heterosexual people, right, for example, might say, no, uh, we got this baby, like, on a surrogate thing or, or we adopted this kid from such and such or so forth or whatever. And then someone has said, oh, well, what happens if the kid, like, wants to know a little bit more about its history or something? And then these people go, no, and we're not telling them. It's nothing to do with them. This is my little designer baby. And, and, and you know, and I've heard this, like, with test tube kids, too. And I've seen some of them now. And they're a funny shape when you're a test tube kid. And you look like Beaker from the Muppets. But um, some of them have come forward, you know, and they've said, look, I'm really, I'm really glad I'm here and everything. But now no one will tell me about the sperm donor that was my father. And every time I go to various places, I'm just banging my head against the wall and no one will tell me anything about him because it's all anonymous. And then people go, well, you should shut the fuck up and just be happy that you're here because it's none of your business and you just get on with your life and stop fucking carrying on about what you, oh, you miss your dad, oh, you never met him. And then I feel for those people because I think, well, um you know, shouldn't we sort of put children first? You know, so I'm like, I'm not saying, for example, that a child who's adopted or was sort of half genetically created from some mad professor's lab or a kid of same-sex parents or any of that thing can't have a good and, and, and fulfilling life. Of course they can. Um, but, you know, sometimes I think people overlook the sort of needs of the kid a bit because like some kids could be going go into any of those situations and the kid might go eh, I'm really not interested in what came before I was happy to get the parents that I got there everything was wonderful not really interested in looking into anything uh, prior to that don't really care quite happy and I say oh good on you that's 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 cool no worries yeah great but then others go well you know I would like to know more and then sometimes you get like selfish parents as I said it's happening in heterosexual things too or single parents or whatever where they go no I'm not telling you you don't you're not stop bothering me no 
mind your own business. And I've seen this with kids who's like mothers wouldn't necessarily tell them who the father was or any, no, I'm not telling you. And then you see the, the people, they grow up and they go through a lot of pain, you know? So, so I admit, you know, like kids need love and I can understand that and all of that. But you do get this thing sometimes where people can be awfully selfish and they see the child as being like, this is my latest accessory. I got a puppy. I got this. I got that. Now I want a kid to go along with all this designer furniture I've bought and the kid doesn't need to know. So sometimes I get a bit, I, I don't know whether it was Elton John exactly, but someone was banging on about it. It might not have been him, but it, I'm, I'm using it as a, as a generic kind of thing. And people and people disagree and stuff, and sometimes I disagree, and sometimes I find myself scratching my head thinking, where do I fit in in all of this? And the answer is I don't fit in anywhere. Um, the process is back to the telegraph. The process would not be legal in many countries, <laughs> really, and would involve DNA extracted from fossils. Your dad was a dead bastard. Then what on earth do we do with this Neanderthal? I mean, it's, this picture they've got of this person here is pretty damn ugly. It reminds me a little bit of, um, just trying to think what it reminds me of, a troll more than anything else. Life-life figure of Neanderthal man in the Neanderthal Museum in Germany. I've seen little old men like that in sort of far-flung places like in Eastern Europe. You know, where they go into the village where no one's had contact with people for 200 years. And there's always some old fellow hanging onto a stick who looks just like this guy. Uh, George Church, a genetics professor at the Harvard School of Medicine, said that the process was possible. And that far from being brutal and primitive, Neanderthals are intelligent beings. So this little Neanderthal is going to be saying when it's born, you see, who was my dad? Where can I find this person? They are, and also the thing that's very worrying about some some of the some of those agreements is, you know, when you're born of these various nefarious type, not nefarious, but other type ways, is you don't always know your ancestry. So yeah, you don't know if suddenly at thirty you're going to be struck down with some horrible cancer because you've got no sort of family history of stuff. All right, all right, I know I'm being old fashioned and I've got my head stuck in the sand. I understand. I am sorry, sorry, sorry. They're believed to be the ancestors of modern man and became extinct 33,000 years ago. Now, one might wonder if they were so intelligent and all of this is we shouldn't have been the ones to die out and they should have survived. See, I wonder if they had come through and we weren't. Would the world be so messed up or would it be a better place to live in? We might have got it wrong, you see. It might be a bit like the Douglas Adams thing with the Golgothringians when they came to Earth and they became... <laughs> they became the human race and the creatures that were destined to be the human race didn't get to become the human race. Oh, I'm in a mood this week. Um, it was... Um, he added the altering the human genome could also provide answers to curing diseases such as cancer and HIV. But... But we... But... Did... But... They obviously didn't have HIV or something and hold the key to living to 120 
God, I think some people live too long as it is the way things are at the moment, really. He told Der Spiegel, the German magazine, Der Spiegel, I have managed to attract enough DNA from fossil bones to reconstruct the DNA of human species largely extinct. Now I need an adventurous female human. Hmm. Well, as I said, there's lots of suburbs where you'll find that, mate. Don't worry, you'll be right. A professor claims he could introduce parts of Neanderthal genome to human stem cells and clone them to create a foetus, a foetus, a fetus, and the rest of the body as well as the fetus, that could then be implanted in a woman. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, Professor Church helped start the human genome genome project, product, project, project that mapped the human DNA as well as is well-respected in the field. So Professor Church is well-respected in the field. Not so much outside streets and shops. He's not as respected there. Down the pub on a Saturday night, obviously not respected at all because he can't seem to find an adventurous female. Was it Bacardi Breezes, I think, are very popular. They tend to like the sweet drinks, so try try that. His comments will surprise most geneticists who believe that human human cloning, cloning humans is unacceptable. It's illegal in Britain. Professor Ch- well, he should hang out with the Raelians. Oh, the Raelians have plenty of adventurous females. The Raelians are right into anything, man. Whatever floats your boat, that's cool with the Raelians. Don't you worry. Oh, they're at it like knives, mate. Uh, Professor Church said, we can clone all kinds of mammals. So it's very likely we could clone a human. Why shouldn't we be able to do so? He added, Neanderthals might think differently than we do. We know they had a larger cranial size. (laughs) Uh, cranial in the anal, eh? Uh, they could be even more intelligent than us. Well, no, they weren't more fucking intelligent than us, otherwise they wouldn't have got themselves extincted, would they? When the time comes to deal with an epidemic or getting off the planet or whatever, it's conceivable their way of thinking could be beneficial. Well, no, it isn't, because we're the ones who put a man on the moon, or at least we think we do, if you don't listen to the to, the, um, to the, the ones who say we didn't go there. Oh, yes, here, here, caveman Og. Although I don't think, where they cavemen? I don't know. Here, get this club in your hand, start bashing it on the ground and work out ways we could leave the planet. Oh, you could get big rubber band and put person in rubber band with slingshot. Pull rubber band back and let go. And this is a race of people who didn't even know that sort of gravity existed. How are they going to help us get off the planet? I think this professor might be a little off the planet himself. I think he needs an adventurous woman to give him a, a bit of a sorting out. The main goal is to increase diversity. No! There could even be, they could even create a new neo-Neanderthal culture and become a political force. No! We don't need any more of that, Professor. We can't get along with the ones of us that are here, Professor. Trust me, I went to Melbourne on the weekend. It's like a fucking zoo. Crazy people everywhere, religion people chanting and ringing bells and, quote Monty Python, shattering sheet glass in the shithouse. You do not want this. 
The one thing that is bad for society is low diversity. Well, 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 if we breed up the Neanderthals, at least we'll have a new underclass that we can pick on, I suppose. Professor Church said the technique would involve artificially creating DNA from fossilised material and introducing this into human stem cell lines. So we'd have GMO people, were we genetically modified people? Well, that's no good if the cannibals take over. If you were a cannibal, would you want to eat a genetically modified person? I think not. No, I like my food organic, man. Which reminds me, I must ring back that Stephanie, what's her name, from Melody's Marvelous Measles. Ah, dear. He discussed his idea in the latest book, Regenesis, How Synthetic Biology Will Reinvent Nature and Ourselves. He rules out recreating older human ancestors or dinosaurs. Oh, yes. Yes, Professor, that would be wrong. As was the subject of the Jurassic Park films, because the age limit of useful DNA is about one million years. You can always tell because it's actually stamped on the DNA like a milk carton. You know, It has its little best before date. He told the magazine one of the things to do is engineer our cells so they have a lower probability of cancer. And then once we have a lower probability of cancer, you can crank up their self-renewal properties. Oh, I wonder which real estate agent would sell self-renewal properties. There'll be someone out there, don't worry. So they have a lower profitability of... Seneskins. S-E-N-E-S-C-E-N-C, which in brackets means aging. Oh, more from the Telegraph. What's this saying? Um, Telegraph UK. Strongest evidence yet to there being life on Mars. Martian rocks from a crater hit by a meteorite meteorite may contain the strongest evidence yet that there's life on Mars. Chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one, he said. Chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one, but still they come. Remember that, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds? That was good, wasn't it? Um, Professor John Parnell, 55, has co-written a theory. This is my theory. With Dr. Joseph Mikulski, a planetary geologist at the Natural History Museum, that suggests they've discovered the best signs of life in a huge in the huge McLaughlin McLaughlin crater on the surface of Mars. The document published today in the National Geogriance Journal of Griancing and Sciencing describes the how is it with pay TV too? Like you have the National Geographic Channel and it's so crappy. What is that? I don't I don't have pay TV, so I don't know. But I always see like these so-called Nat Geo docos that all seem rather flimsy. Do they still have the pictures of the women with the big flat breasts? That's what I want to know. Pancake breasts. Brought to you by the pancake parlour. Pour maple syrup all over them and give them a good suck. Uh, describes how they assessed the crater created by a meteorite which smashed into the surface of Mars, flinging rocks from miles below up. The rocks appear to be made of clay and minerals which have been altered by water. 
like I said, we can't deal with the life that's here, let alone worrying about what's going on on Mars. The essential element to support life. Speaking from his laboratory in the University of Aberdeen, geochemist Professor Parnell, Parnell said, We could be so close to discovering it was if it was there, or if there was life in Mars, ya bastard. And whether we should buy him a wee little drink on a Saturday night. Doing the pub when we're trying to find an adventurous woman. Let us put our uh, Neanderthal sperms in there. We all know from studies that a substantial proportion of life on Earth is also the substance, uh, so is also in the subsurface. And by studying the McLaughlin crater, we can see similar conditions beneath the surface of Mars thanks to observations on the rocks brought up by a meteor strike. Apparently there can be no life on the surface of Mars because it's bathed in radiation. And it is completely... Fr- be like those people who have cancer, they go and sit in old uranium mines, you know, breathing in the radioactive air, believing that it's going to fix their cancer, but it's actually probably going to make them worse. However, life... In- no, don't worry. Give the, um, give the merchants of Wu a chance to fly to Mars. They'll all have you up there. However, life in the subsurface would be protected from that. And there's no reason why there isn't bacteria and other microbes that were still living in the small cracks well below the surface of Mars. One or the other things we have discussed in our paper is this bacteria could be living off hydrogen, which is exactly the same as what microbes beneath the surface of the Earth are doing do. Unfortunately, we won't find any evidence of animals as most complex as the most complex life you'll get on the subsurface would be fungi or fungi or fungula. But fungi aren't even that far removed from plants and animals. So I think you could say that life on the Mars could be complex, but small. I think he's edging his bedside always there, don't you? Just a little. We don't need any more life. We've got enough we can't deal with now. Um, I just feel like I'm going through the numbers, really. Stumble upon British nursing homes. Access to prostitutes is a human right. There you go. You might find some adventurous women there to have you in the Andertals. The director of a British nursing home in East Sussex, Great Britain, argued recently that access to sex workers is human rights, saying her staff has helped the residents of the Chaseley Trust Home access adult services when they're feeling frustrated. Yes. So if you had sort of like a nursing fantasy, you'd have to bring someone in from elsewhere when there's already perfectly good nurses there. Hmm... People have needs. So sometimes we need to set the room up in a certain way, Chasley manager Sue Watt told The Sun, calling access to sex workers a human rights. But you can imagine when the do-gooders come in and they say, see that old man over there? He's covered in welts and bruises. What have you, what have you, what have unspeakable things have you done to this poor old fellow? Oh, no, no, we had to import someone in to put those bruises and welts there, we assure you. It's nothing to do with our duty of care. It's the way he likes it. Uh, We are there to help, she reportedly said. 
we use a private consultant who arranges everything. They call them people pimps, don't they? Um, they are an independent person who works in the home. She puts people in touch with other people. But one must use a condom at all times. We, we respect our residents as individuals, which is why we help this to happen. Yes, we fix the old pervs up. No worries. Local officials have been investigating the home's unusual policy after former manager Helena Barrow said that she'd helped organise a strip show on the premises, according to the Daily Mail. And we all know how reputable the Daily Mail is, don't we? There's a link to it. Hang on, let's see if it's there. Da 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 do And don't forget, Grandma, take your teeth out every time. Oh, I always do, damn. Very popular. Care Home allowed Vice Girls to visit the disabled and left red socks on their door handles when not to be disturbed. <laughs> Staff at Eastbourne Home, this is Daily Mail, yeah, uh, in East Sussex, would call prostitutes for residence. There's a picture of Helena Barrow there, revealed its bizarre policy. She looks a friendly type. And it drags on and on and on and on. And then it shows two people in bed together. And other things of less interest. Hang on, what does it say? Sadly, many phone... Uh, this is from the letters from people. Bill J. Guildford. Guildford, United Kingdom. All oh, right. Oh, Bill J. of Guildford. I thought that's unusual. His name's Guildford. And he lives in Guildford. Well, then again, our friend Myrtle, who died last year, if you listen back to the podcast, she lived in Myrtle Street. How's that, eh? She really did. Sadly, many care homes are a form of jail in the UK. What was happening here <coughs> was not illegal by current UK legislation. People in their twilight years should be free to live their lives as freely as possible. Yes, what was I saying about the pancake tits before? Um, can only be good. They should film the next one. I would make a fortune, said someone from Derby, spelt incorrectly. They spelt it with an E. And the very best of luck to them all. And for those whining about it, get a life. These poor individuals have enough challenges in their life. Why can't they have some fun if they so desire? Excuse me, where is the problem, says George from Stansted, United Kingdom. If a resident is still capable and has the dosh to employ a lady for a time, why shouldn't her? Why shouldn't her? Why shouldn't he? If a lady has a similar needs, why shouldn't she not indulge with a little bit, with a little bit, with a little bit of blooming luck? And hope the pacemaker doesn't give in at that point. Still, what a way to go. They receive little enough pleasure as it is. Remember, inside every OAP, there beats an 18-year-old emotional heart. Sanctimonious hypocrisy not allowed. Hmm, sounds good. Uh, well, um, and what else was it? Uh, we care for elves. Um, let them know. We This is back to stumble upon. We care for adults from at the age of 18 with all types of disability. Spinal injury, acquired brain injury, and stroke and multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and a range of other neurological conditions. Chasley's website explains, covering a wide range, wide age range, Chasley Home and Bungalows have a 
family feel where where everyone gets a feel, do they? Oh, good. It's all part of our policy, a free feel every day. Uh, where everyone feels valued and their input is welcome, if you are willing for shilling, as it were. Uh, officials on the East Sussex County Council said they were concerned the policy left potentially vulnerable residents at risks of exploitation. Prostitution is not a crime in the UK. Uh, maybe they'll make it compulsory soon, I don't know. Well, they've done away with a lot of benefits over there, haven't they? Social Security and that. People who've had, like, limbs lopped off, who are crawling along on the ground are told, you're fit for work, off you go, stiff upper lip. Oh, you haven't got an upper lip, never mind. Keep something stiff, and away you go. But lawmakers have been under pressure to review those laws and implement a scheme that explicitly bans the selling of sex. Oh, there's always someone coming along to put a crimp in your day. Have you noticed that? 207, according to my little um, thing. Oh, the narrator of Ang Lee's sumptuous film, Life of Pi, promises that his story will make you believe in God. This is from the rationalist.org.uk. Uh, but does it? No, it doesn't. I've seen the movie. It doesn't. It just had me at the end of it going, what was all that stuff about God about? What the fuck was that about? Rationalist.org.uk. Editors note, this piece does reveal some of the plot of Life of Pi. So be wary if you're concerned about spoilers. Oh, nothing worse than having your pie spoiled, is there? As we used to call them in Australia, would you like a, would you like a bit of rat's coffin? Because I was talking about rats in pies and maggot sandwiches. Ew. Can a work of fiction make you believe in God? Of course not, I hear you cry. Well, that's, we, <laughs> we have enough works of fiction about God, don't we? After all, we have the Bible and the Quran and the Torah. Oh, Torah, 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 From a rational perspective, it's a very silly question. How could fiction prove or disprove a matter of fact? And anyway, aren't all religions themselves fictitious? Fictions. Just like novels. Hmm. Yeah, well, believe me, I went to Melbourne. Believe me, there's no shortage of religion out there, whether it's fictitious or not. And at Lunar Park, like it was really hot, actually, the sun was beating down and there were lots of women in the little burkas and things and wrapped up in a million layers of clothing. And I'm thinking, man, they must be hot in that. No, I don't mean hot in the sense of, whoa, she's hot. <laughs> no, not like that. But hot as in, God, they must be cooking under all those layers of clothing. But of course, you mustn't see an ankle. It could, it could drive you to the... To the ends of um, it could, couldn't it? Yes, we mustn't have that. Um, yet Barack Obama, Barack Obama, Obama, no less, was so convinced by Canadian author Jan Martel's 2001 novel Life of Pi that, sorry, Life of Pi, that he wrote him a short letter of thanks. He said, It's a lovely book, an elegant proof of God, and the power of storytelling that's a huge claim indeed. We can now examine it more closely. Is this part of the letter? Ah, oh, there's the unquote, sorry. That's a huge claim indeed. We can now examine it more closely as the 2002 Man Booker Prize Whoa. winner has been turned into a film by the Taiwanese director Ang Lee. 
Ang Lee, Ang Lee, whose previous work includes The Ice Storm, haven't seen it, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, haven't seen it, and Broke Back Mountain, or as I prefer to call it, Arse Crack Mountain. Um, the fanciful... Sorry, sorry, politically incorrect. I know, I know. I'm always reminded, though, when I see tradies bending over. I always think of that movie, Arse Crack Mountain, ba- Brokeback Mountain, Bareback Mountain. The fanciful claim is actually flagged at the beginning of the work by the epiphanous hero, Pi Patel, who now a middle-aged man living in Canada, if you can call that living, tells a struggling novelist searching for material... That the, lo- that the story of his life will make the listener believe in God. Which it doesn't. It truly doesn't. It's the kind of movie... A friend of my wife said, she, oh, I found it really disturbing. And then we probed her a little, because we like to dress up as aliens. And um, she didn't really elucidate. She's a friend of my, my wife's, and, um, and often she writes stuff like that in emails, and then, we, and then my wife always writes back, what did you exactly mean? And then it's like... She never answers. It's just like she's tuned out. Like she used to send us all those emails, you know, with all those hoaxes. Like one time we got an email from her, which had been altered from an American one. Beware when driving in Melton tonight. Now, (laughs) Melton's another suburb where occasionally you might see a front yard that looks like it's been through the Brisbane floods as well. Um, uh, Beware when driving in the middle of the night in Melton that a car should approach you with its headlights off. Should you flash the car to allow to let it know its headlights are off, the car will chase you down, pull you over, gunmen will get out and shoot you through the head. The local police are warning residents to be aware of this. And then she said, oh, my husband's got to go to Melton tomorrow night and I'm awfully worried. And so we looked it up on Snopes straight away. And, of course, it's just a lot of fucking bullshit because, I mean, in a suburb like Melton, I know law and order may have gone a little to the wall, but... If there was a car driving around in the middle, and it's not a huge place, you know, and people were being shot by this mysterious car, we may just have heard about it on the news. So we sent back a link saying, um, "Listen, don't worry, it's it's only a, it's only a hoax." And then they just never they never raise it again. Like the people who send you this shit, you send them back a link going, you know, if you'd taken a minute to check this out to see if it was a hoax before you wasted everybody's time sending these crazy emails that are supposed to put the frighteners on people um, that, um, thank you. You won't talk now, will you? You won't say a word. That's that's my, it's a wig whisk, but I use it as a drum, like a brush on a drum. The other one fell apart. Thank you for the macaroons. One has pink spotty business. Macaron. Macaron, sorry. Yes, I would. I'm not on form as much today. I, I feel... Oh good. I feel I've I feel I've just wasted people's time. Yes, I did talk about Huey. Yes, I did. I did talk about Huey. Um where was I? Yeah, so these people send this stuff and they always send it like there's always this big fear, you know, people are coming to this country and they receive all these benefits and stuff and things and then you look it up and it's not true. And you always write back to people and say, look, look this stuff up before you send it. And then people always just go really quiet. Um, believe in God. We might question the wisdom, wisdom of laying your deck of theological cards on the table so soon. If anything, 
It's likely to make us less willing to suspend disbelief. Being told what we'll believe in advance is positively inviting sceptical counter-reaction. Yes, you've got a point there. That's how I felt too. Um, although not really, because I thought I'm always willing to be convinced. I'm always willing to be convinced. If I can find any proof whatsoever that of something greater than this thing, of what we might perchance call a god, if I can see any sort of proof of it, trust me, I'll be the first one to jump the fence. Because I... I I I think that sometimes, like atheists will say, well, no, we are more happy than religious people because we live in the moment. We live, you know, for this lifetime. We're not we're not sacrificing the benefits of this lifetime and denouncing it as all being a bit of a waste of time because there's something better. Wait, there's something better waiting on the other side, and we just tend to believe that. Um, that, you know, we've got to live for the here and now and make the world a better place for now for our children and stuff. And then that's supposed to make us happier. But the thing is, does it really make us happier? Because sometimes I don't feel happy. Sometimes I think, yeah, it is all a bit sort of whatever. And wouldn't it be good if there was sort of like the other side? Um, And then I knew that, but then I think, but you got no proof of that. So it's like, well, you just have to resolve yourself to it. And then you have to say, well, life can't be all Luna Park and fun every five seconds of the day, can it? No, it can't. There are inescapable uh, uh, realities that one has to face. So I hope that when I go, I'm barking mad. I probably don't have far to go, do I? That I'm completely unaware of my surroundings. I almost wish dementia upon myself for the last whatever six months to a year or whatever of my life so that when I when I shake off this mortal coil as it were I've no idea what is going on because sometimes I wish I had no idea what was going on now and sometimes I'm not so sure I do um propaganda or didactic art succeeds when we're best totally unaware of it according to this uh, rationalist.org I was brought up in the 50s on a diet of TV and matinee westerns. And in the woods near my grandfather's house, we regularly played cowboys and Indians. Oh no, you didn't. How politically incorrect. I think you should have called it invaders and indigenous persons of the American continent. The Indians were always the baddies. For that is what was... Presented by Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood. There was an occasional good Indian like Tonto in The Lone Ranger. <laughs> was it? The Lone Ranger said, Well, Tonto, here we are, surrounded by a thousand angry braves that are likely to kill us at the drop of a hat. So there's just, <laughs> there's just us two against those thousands. What are we going to do, Tonto? And Tonto looked at the Lone Ranger and said, We? What do you mean, we, pale face? Don't you just mean you? The Lone Ranger. But generally they were savage and cruel. They were so very cruel. Then at the beginning of the 1970s, I saw Soldier Blue. Yes, because when we were in Melbourne too, I did see all the chalk outlines on... Um, there's this funny-looking sort of like city square thing. And in, in the in this 80s when it was launched, it had water fountains and shops and streets. And 
something called the Yellow Peril, which was this, um, it's hard to explain, it was sort of like this sculpture sort of thing that everyone hated the Yellow Peril. And eventually I think they ended up throwing it in the Yarra River, which, by the way, has huge amounts now of um, E. coli in it. Anyway, we were walking along the revamped city square and someone, of course, had put in chalk mark in celebrate Invasion Day, which is how the Indigenous people tend to see Australia Day because it's Invasion Day. And um, as I said, look, mm, they're nice. Mm. Pink little macarons, eh? Could be worse. Um, so that's what I'm saying with the Neanderthals. We don't need any more people. We truly don't. We can't resolve our issues with the ones of us that are here. I mean, at the moment, we've got Mali. That's all going mental, and Egypt's a mess, and. And certain places in the world are like basket cases. And really, like most of us who are probably downloading this, although I did notice somewhere someone in Jordan is just is downloading my podcast. I'd say be very careful about downloading this podcast if you live in the Islamic world. If it's one of those um, fascist-y sort of hunter places, you could be put up against the wall and shot or have your head cut off or one of the two. And so by an accident of birth, a lot of us that download this podcast are just really lucky to happen to be born where we were. Um, Rationalist.org UK. For that is how they were presented in Hollywood. There's an occasional good Indian, like Tonto. Yes, we read that. I saw Soldier Blue, which focused on the 1864 Sand Creek Massacre of Cheyenne in Colorado. Boy, those Americans love their massacres, don't they? Sandy Creek, Sandy Hook. I'm taking my guns, boy. It was a manipulative film, but it worked. I left the cinema that night very angry that I'd been duped for so long into a one-sided man's view of American history. Where was his other side? He only had one leg and one eye. Aye, aye, hop in, you look harmless. Westerners, Westerners succeed in their propaganda in no small part because... Of them posed as such harmless fun. That pink one was nice. I love the yellow one. Mm. Oh, very nice. Um, most of them are posed as harmless fun and should not be taken too seriously. My dad loved westerns. He really did. Now, he liked it because you could get up in the middle of the western watching on your TV, go out, pour yourself a beer, Splash the boots, water the garden, and then wander in five, ten minutes later, and you wouldn't have missed any of the story. Life of Pi wants to be enjoyable, but it also openly seeks to communicate a message. In Obama's more definite verdict, a proof, it should therefore be judged on its own terms, both as a work of entertainment and as a theological thetheth. <clears throat> what I got from the movie when I saw it, and I think I mentioned this a few podcasts ago, was that um, basically what Life of Pi's message was, was be anything rather than a non-believer. Um, which is what I heard Francisca's Henry say 
when he was being interviewed by um, Radio National, Francis, I don't know if I mentioned him the other week, I might have. Um, I kind of like him. He does sort of like good stuff for the kids and that, and he's a really good entertainer and everything, but he's really religious. But he was saying in an interview when he's, you know, performing for kids at um, schools, or, you know, religious uh, churches and stuff, that it's better to, if you can't be converted to Christianity, it's better that you go off and become like a Hindu or a Sikh or a Muslim or whatever. Anything rather than just looking at it and saying, this is a load of crap. So what he was saying was, it's better you believe something than to be an atheist. And I really want him to be on the show, and I've sent him an email. Come on, come and let me interview you. But I haven't heard squat, which is not surprising because, I mean, if you downloaded the previous type one, someone like him might look at the podcast and go, I'm not going on with that fucking idiot. And he'd be right I'm sorry, I've wasted all your time this week. I really have, and now it's 2.23, and I haven't even played the Gypsy Rover or anything or done anything, and I don't feel like I'm really being that funny. The first part of Life of Pi is a charming and whimsical portrayal of the early life of Piscean Molotov Patel, Molotov, Molotov, named after the famous Art Deco swimming pool in Paris. He lives in the former French enclave of Pondicherry, now pronounced Puducherry, where his father keeps a zoo in the local botanical gardens. And his classmates tease him about his pissing, because his name is Pi Sing, see, Pi. So he shortens his name to the Mathaman wins the blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay. Pi is a spiritually precocious child, which he was, yes, uh, brought up a Hindu culture which has introduced him to many gods and wants to know more. He stumbles on Christianity at a hilltop church and is taken by the loving message of Jesus, though he rejects the atonement, thinking the idea that Christ is punished by God for the sins of the guilty are nonsense. Well, quite a few atheists think that, don't they? Later, he delves into Islam and finds it a beautiful religion of brotherhood and devotion. Hmm... Don't know how well they treat the sisterhood of Islam, but anyway. Um, yeah, someone was saying on the radio, too, that um, Islam is a religion which is not judged by thoughts but judged by deeds. And someone was saying, well, the deeds lately of Islam haven't been too bloody peaceful, have they? And I thought, you got a point there. But then they always preface it. Everyone, gives, everyone, gives, everyone gets a free pass because then they say, Oh, yeah, because they've got to, because they're on sort of public radio. They're on public radio. It's not like a podcast where you can go off. Oh, yes, but uh, all religions are kind of guilty of uh, that, aren't they? We've all had our Spanish Inquisitions and various things. Yes, and we always we always cover our bets there, because let's face it, when it comes to militant Islamism, we are all shit scared. Because they're a little bit of the equivalent, in my opinion, not all people of Islam, of course, but just the ones that are fucking crazy motherfuckers, the ones who fly planes into buildings and stuff, is they're a little bit the equivalent of um, of the how the... Ja not that I'm having a go at the Japanese, but God, you got to be so careful what you say about people these days, don't you? A um, bit, little bit like the Second World War. You remember the war? Do you remember the war? When, like, the kamikaze pilots used to fly themselves into shit. Once you can convince people to go out and die for their cause and take as many motherfuckers with them as they possibly can, it all becomes a little scary. 
which is now why we're seeing so all these like Islamic uprisings in Mali and all these other places. Because, see, they ain't stupid, and they know that if then they can get the Western world to commit troops left, right, and centre here, there, and everywhere, and us to spend a lot of money, they know they're hurting our economies because we've got to keep sending people in there to try and um, try and put matters in hand, as it were. So this is why I think we're all in this together. I think we just, as I mean, I think we're just going to keep getting dragged into shit. And this is why if you think religion is going away anytime soon, think again. It's all well and good for us Dawkinsy types to sit up here and pontificate our nonsense. But there's other nonsense out there too, and some of it is quite violent. So I don't know, folks... Yes, and I and I and I've, and I've just I've just been I've just been getting really annoyed lately too because I don't know you see it on Facebook all the time you know oh come and sign this petition from Change dot org about this or that or this or the world is this and come and do this and this and this and this and people rant and rave oh I hate this about this and this and that and the other and then I sort of look at it and I think we're also sort of busy. Um, ranting and raving on Facebook and things when really it actually doesn't really make any difference about what somebody's written on Facebook because it just goes down the news feed and gets further and further away and probably no one really cares. And if you really wanted to change something, you'd be better off, as they say, putting bums on seats and actually, I don't know, going to your local member, as it were, or some sort of lawmaker as a group of people and saying, look, this or this has to change. We are now like lobbyists. Because, I don't know, people just rant and rave on the internet and who, I mean, really, does it really do anything? I sort of don't think it does. From what I can see, I don't think it does. I don't think people really change their minds. As my old dad used to say, leopards don't change their spots. And in so many ways, that's kind of true. Like, you know, racists still stay as racists. Fundamental religious people still say as fundamental religiousness. Some of us change in our lives to a degree, and that's true, and there is, there is change and there are things, but do people really change on the inside? See, that's why I'm so keen to keep Access Ministries away from our school children, because it, it really is put into you at an early age, and then you can't really break it, can you? Clearly, um, back to this, we, uh, we, we are too meant to see that all religions are at heart the same <laughs> because they speak an ultimate spiritual reality that will enable us to live better lives. Oh, yes. How true. When I'm strapping dynamite to myself to run into some busy building. Yes, that's better life, isn't it? No, all religions are at heart aren't the same, I say, apart from the fact that they're built on a fairy tale. The fairy tale may vary, but they're not the same because if you go to a, a born-again fundamentalist type Christian and you say, what do you think of Islam, you will get a spray like you wouldn't believe. Or go to someone who's quite an ardent Muslim and say, what do you think about Jesus being the Son of God? And you just wait and you will hear, yes, you will, and any other religion. And then, and then it makes you laugh, doesn't it? Just when you think there are too many religions in the world, in the 50s, along comes Scientology, just to add to the bullshit. Um, Pi's position does seem similar to that of Gandhi, 
who envisage the world religions as individual branches of the same tree. No. <laughs> Some trees, as you might know, can be grafted with branches of other trees and they do all right and some don't. But no, I don't think they are individual branches of the same tree because individual branches of the same tree are the same tree. And there is no way that fundamental Islam is the same as fundamental Christianity. Yes, we see great acts of kindness and stuff amongst people who help other people as we've learnt in sort of the Bible of the good Samaritan helping the other one but um, that's an individual sort of thing that comes down to where you know that in our sort of evolution we've learnt that helping each other out is kind of good for society. But once we gather ourselves in little gangs of people, we don't feel the same way. Another illustration of what the philosopher John Hicks called the pluralistic hypothesis, hypothesis is the ancient Indian parable of three blind men touching an elephant. Oh, the first blind man is holding the elephant's leg and he, sees, he says, I think the elephant is like a trunk of a great tree. The second blind man disagrees, holding the elephant's trunk, and he says, I believe the elephant is like a large snake. Right? And the third blind man believes, why are we letting blind people touch snakes? That's the only reason he could know what a snake was like, wasn't he? Isn't that a bit dangerous, letting blind people handle snakes? The third blind man believes they're both wrong, and he said the elephant's like a great wall. He exclaims, well, okay, so religion. The first one's like the trunk of a tree, right? Okay, we can deal with it. The second one says it's like a snake. Yes, poisonous. That's religion, is it? And the third man believes it's like a great wall. Yes, exclusive of all others. The great wall keeping people in or out. He exclaims as he touches the elephant's side. Each blind man is convinced that he is right and the others are wrong without real... That's religions. Yes, that's religions. Without all touching the same elephant. Major religions of the world are like that. And the three blind men, each in contact with the same elephant without actually knowing it. What, they were deaf as well and couldn't hear each other? Yes, this is actually true. All religions are essentially the same. No, they're not. Yes, I say, yes, they're the same in the fact they're based on a fairy tale and some mystical figure that lives off in wobbly dum-dum land or in the clouds. But that's where it ends, guys. They're not essentially the same because if they were the same, we'd all get along with each other. A difference between the parable and world... they all t Most of them actually teach... They don't necessarily as much... Well, they do actually come out and say to kill the heretics, but... Most of them, even if they pull short of that, will say, oh, no, we don't hate the other religions. It's just that our one is the one true religion. You know, in the way that Ford drivers used to hate Holden drivers and vice versa. They're both cars. But mm, even the man with 20-20 vision can't see it. No one has direct access to the ultimate reality. So no one has any hard evidence that it even exists. Well, there you go. It's all nonsense, isn't it? Unlike elephants, the real may be a mere figment of the imagination as such, and we can make it whatever we wish. Hence, Gandhi was able to include atheists, oh, atheists, in his schemata because they seek the truth. Oh. And truth is God. Oh, I see. 
He could even include animals, God, ourselves, and all objects of the universe are, in essence, one reality. This pantheistic affirmation seems to also be relevant in the life of Pi, where even a Bengal tiger appears to take to partake of divinity. Did he? Oh. The aforementioned creature is one of the animals in the Pondicherry Zoo named Richard Parker. Oh, Richard Parker, sir, do not try to eat me. Uh, in a clerical era after the hunter who captured him. He's a magnificent yet terrifying and inscrutable beast, perhaps representing, representing perhaps the universal other, or if you prefer, the mystery at the heart of all human life. Shit, I didn't pick up any of this when I was watching that movie. When Pi tries to connect with him by visiting his cage, his father decides to teach him a lesson in the cruel indifference of nature by placing a living goat inside. No, he didn't. He placed it at the bars, and we assume the uh, tiger dragged him through the bars. But anyway, and the lesson will be later put to the test. Anyway, it goes on there, rationalist.org.au.uk. Um, oh, I don't know. Do you want me to read the rest of it? Or? I don't know. Um, just when Pi, now 16, brilliantly played by Shurab Sharma, is becoming interested in girls, his father decides to move to Canada where he will sell some, some of the animals to start a new business. The family and some of the menagerie board the Japanese cargo ship in the Philippines, but this, is, this passage from India meets with tragedy in a storm above the Mariana Trench, where this apparently an explosion on board, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the ship sinks and Pi is the only human survivor and he's joined in a lifeboat by an injured zebra, or a zebra, a frenzied hyena and a lumbering orangutan and Richard Parker. The hyena eats the zebra, kills the orangutan and in turn is eaten by the tiger. Soon only Pi and Richard Parker the tiger are left to act out a tense storm and fang drama. <laughs> Goddamn fang bangers everywhere and the vast expanses of the Pacific Ocean. The face-off uh, lasts an hour on the screen and is perhaps a bit too long. Yeah, kind of. It was sort of all right. I mean, well, look, it, it was a good film in terms of its visual spectacularness. I agreed with that. And the CGI tiger was really hard to differentiate from a real tiger. But it allows director Ang Lee to stage one of the greatest shows on Earth as we witness... Interalia breaching whales encrusted in bioluminescent plankton. That litter of whales like stars, oh, that litter the water like stars, sorry. Flying fish that whiz through the air like bullet, tracer bullets. An underwater world of illuminated jellyfish. And a carnivorous island inhabited, inhabited by a multitude mob of meerkats. And if this ravishing visual feast heightened in 3D viewing, yes, I saw it in 3D, the very first movie I ever saw in 3D, is meant as a homage to the miracle of creation. It pays tribute to human, not divine intervention. As Richard Dawkins argues, reality itself is magical, and we see that uh, to Lee's art adds a further layer of enchantment. What need, therefore, of a god? So if anything, Life of Pi argues the exact opposite of what's intended. 
Anyway, yeah, I sort of thought that. I got to the end of it, and then I just sort of thought, what the hell does this mean? Someone's written to the end of this Rationalist UK blog. Jack Ma wrote, I was left with the impression that the true story was the one with the people. Oh, yes, see, that's the give. Oh, should I tell? Oh, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Yeah, see, at the end, oh, do I give it away? I don't know. It sort of doesn't really, it doesn't really, um, um, one of the problems with this review is the film is a sanitized version of the book. The violence is not concealed in the book, and in one scene of hunger, Pi resorts to eating feces. Oh, I didn't see that. So to say the life, can, life of Pi conceals the ugliness of life is not altogether true. The film may have done so to get its PG-13 rating, but the book does not. Isn't there... I'm going to give you the spoiler alert. Just if you don't want to listen to it, just don't listen to this bit. Because at the end he talks about... He tells the Japanese insurance people about the tiger and the baboon and the thing and the thing, and then in the end it turns out that those animals represented on the boat may have actually been people, you see. And so there was an alternative story that even though you saw him on the boat for the entire part of the film, um, they actually might have been people and he might have been making it up about the animals. Which, and which was supposed to be some like held up something of like, there are more than one way to the truth, you see. Isn't there something tiresome, said released one, about having to judge a work uh, or art by its atheist credentials? Religion is a cultural norm for millions of people in the world today. See, that's what I said. And used to be in Britain. It's not going away in a hurry, folks. People and art are of their time and place. I don't believe in God, but I love Bach. I can learn from Jesus. Art and ideas are no less worth having had their genesis in a different age or culture. Life of Pi works for me without needing to persuade me of God's existence. It reveals marvellous things, some of which are real and some of which are stories, metaphors we often experience as as magical because it's greater than we are outside of our experience and makes us feel like some small part of a greater system. How brilliant to know the story wonder of starry skies and phosphorescent seas, oak trees and acorns, These experiences inspire and transform. If a mountain is a metaphor for challenge... No, a mountain's just a mountain, I think, isn't it? It's a challenge to climb up the mountain, but is it a metaphor? See, I used to know these new agey people once who used to go off to these weekend camps where they would walk on ashes and, you know, coals and stuff. And they told me a wonderful thing. They said, you know, if you write your fear down on a board, you then break the board with your hand, thus breaking your fears and phobias and I said no you're just breaking a board and by the way it's a very flimsy piece of pine and they make sure you hit the right way of the grain so of course it breaks in half and then they did the thing yes but it's symbolic of your fears and I said well why don't you just like face your fears oh well it's easier to break a board so well what was your fear and someone said you know the usual thing like speaking in public and I said, well, you broke the board. Are you, any, are you any better now at speaking in public? Oh, no, I'm still terrified of it. So you broke a board, basically, then, did you? Oh, you're just being cynical. If you came along to one of those weekends, you, you'd see how different it is. 
And I said, no, I wouldn't. They go, oh, then you'd get nothing out of it. Then we don't want you to come with us. I said, good, because I wouldn't go anyway. Um, if a ma- mountain is a metaphor for challenge and exploration and learning a whole lot more, then film, music and poetry and art and architecture are all language which heighten and multiply, multiply the metaphors. And with them, our own experience of the world, do we think any less of Tarkovsky if we don't get the boy watering the tree? All right, I'll feign ignorance. I don't know who Tarkovsky... I don't feign ignorance. I am ignorant. Hang on. Yes, a lot of the New Age people listening to that would say I was, yes. Um, Russian-Soviet filmmaker. Come on, hurry up, Wikipedia. Hurry up. Uh, Andrei Arsenenev Tarkovsky. Born in 1932, died 1986, was a Soviet and Russian filmmaker. Oh, well, he was just a bloody shill for the Communist Party then, wasn't he? Uh, Tarkovsky's films include Android Rublev, Savlaris, The Mirror and Stalker. He directed the first five of his seven feature films in the Soviet Union and the last two films were produced in Italy and Sweden. They are characterised by spiritually and metaphysical themes, long takes and lack of conventional dramatic structure. A bit like this podcast this week, actually, dead boring and distinctly authored use of cinematography. Did he escape the Soviet Union film career outside? Hang on. During the summer, he travelled to Italy. Did he... Ah, hey, hang on. During his trip to Sweden, he'd considered defecating all over the Soviet... No, he considered defecting from the Soviet Union, but ultimately decided to return because of his wife and son. Oh, what a great guy he truly was then. Anyway, that's um thing about the little boy watering the trees. Wish I could get my kid to do anything. We asked him yesterday, could you help put the arts, because they started school today, could you help us with the arts mocks to put him in the car? I don't want to do any of that. I hate doing stuff. I just want to watch TV. I don't want to help. Well, it's our own fault for having children, I suppose. Child, children. Children and then, what's this? Lawsuit is taking. Lawsuit alleges purpose of Scientology is taking people's money. Gosh, what a surprise. NBC News. The Church of Scientology has sprayed, has strayed from its principle and devolved into a cash-hungry enterprise that misuses parishioners' donations to protect itself from questions and intimidate its own members. A Californian couple has charged Wednesday. The couple said in a federal lawsuit that the church had missed... See, do we need any more new religions? Please, I implore you, if you're going to start a religion, please don't! Unless it's going to be really creative and you can think of some really cool things to do that other... Because most of them just rip off from the others. But look, don't. Just If you can think of something cool... I mean, I've got to give um, L. Ron Hubbard credit for the whole Xenu thing, and that was pretty good. It was pretty good. Not for the poor saps who've given them all their money, but it was pretty funny. When I first read all that stuff, Secrets of Scientology, I just thought, oh, fuck it. Oh, shit. You've got to be yoking my, yanking my chain. And I wish you were. I wish you were here now to yank my chain. 
The couple said in a federal lawsuit that the church had misused about $400,000 of their money, including donations meant for construction projects and for relief. Maybe go back to those nursing homes and provide a bit of relief from natural disasters. They also said that church donations had been used to finance high-priced lifestyle of its leader, Mr. David Miscavige. Miscavige. The lawsuit filed in Tampa Bay, Florida, by Louis and Rocco Garcia Irvine of California Thingy accuses the church of fraud. Oh, really? The church said in a statement it had not been served and could not comment on the lawsuit. It added, it added, usually you can comment, can't you? Is it afterwards you can't comment? Depends where you live. Soon, if you live in Australia, you won't be able to say fuck all about nothing with this new bullshit that the Gillard government's carrying on about. It added, we can unequivocally state all funds solicited are used for charitable and religious purposes or porpoises for which they were donated. The Garcias were members of the church for 28 years before leaving in 2010. Their lawyer, Theodore Babbitt, wasn't that the one who got his penis cut off? Oh no, that was Bobbitt told the NBC News, the church uses large high-pressure fundraising drives as a source of its main revenue, revenue, and has morphed into an organisation whose primarily, primary purpose is taking people's money, the lawsuit said. The lawsuit alleges that the church has used contributions to stifle inquiries into the church's activities and finances and to intimidate members and ex-members and to finance the lavish lifestyles of miscavige. Five Scientology organisations have been named as defendants. The lawsuit on focuses on the Scientology building in Clearwater, Florida that Babbitt says remains unopened. The California couple said that the church accepted more than $2 million in donations in all for building, for the building known as Super Power and has spent less than half on construction. Um, the lawsuit charge, well, they should be able to do it with the power of their mind, shouldn't they? Moving bricks and stuff and mixing cement. Can't you do that when you reach OT8? The lawsuit makes specific charges about how the church misused the Garcia's money. Well, Garcia's, when you gave them the money, it ceased to be your money, didn't it? The couple claimed that they gave $3,400 for the building in more than half a dozen, in more than a dozen donations between 98 and 2005 uh, and were made promises the church did not fulfill. Well, listen, look. Sad as I feel for you, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like when you put the PayPal donation up for your injuries and sicknesses, and then you go out and buy shoes. I mean, hmm. Oh well, as I said, way too many. If you're hearing this now, you'll realise that perhaps I did listen back to the podcast and thought it was half worth releasing. Please release me, let me go. This is Arthur Comer, a dedicated Christian and legendary letter writer. You are listening to the Dumb Down Atheist podcast. And will somebody please think of the children? I think visual aids help so much. Here's a little song uh, in a sec. Dedicated to a great fella by the name of Elron Hubbard who started up that wonderful financial religious uh, institution, uh, cult, sorry, church of Scientology.
And uh, if you don't know the Scientologists, they're uh, John Travolta and his friends. Uh, they hold tin cans and believe in strange space aliens who once took over the Earth and put people into volcanoes and blew them up. And those uh, spirits infect us all. We're crawling with these things called thetans. So I figured any sci-fi novelist with that much imagination deserves a song. This is called Old Mother Hubbard. Ready, please, Mr. Music. We're ready to show off, sir. When Old Mother Hubbard heard the cuts were coming, sailed out on the seas, signed up his chosen view. They were quite a motley group for a billion years, fair to leave. Said a table of clay can really make your day. I can even raise your IQ. Turn you straight and queer and make it all clear like the stars in Hollywood do. So come and sing the crewmate song A billion years won't seem so long To get you weary, postulate As for the rest, we'll litigate Scrub this leak and tub with your bare hands As you wear with pride your grey armbands Old Mother Hubbard had a well-stocked cupboard Though his crew ate beans and rice They never got paid for working 18-hour days And sleeping with the roaches at night He made up quaint pseudo-words Nouns into verbs had them all hold the shoot cans. Plus, those from the will attack you if they're able, so you better spot the body, pay tans. Oh, my God, get them off me. They're everywhere. They're all over me. So come and sing the crewmate song. A billion years won't seem so long. Get your weary postulate. As for the rest, we'll litigate. Scrub this leak and tub with your bare hands. As you wear with pride your gray man. Old Mother Hubbard was a cunning old buzzard at his crew, copyright. Better plans and chants and have bird pecked lambs, aliens giving us the pipes. See no implants, send them up to dance. ESP with chimpanzee! Energy beams, he wrapped around tree space, operating tone for tree. So come and sing the crewmate song a billion years long, see so long. Get you weary, postulate. As for the rest, we'll litigate. Scrub this leak and tub with your bare hands. As you wear with pride your grey armpits. Space adventure! Come and sing the crewmate song A billion years won't seem so long To get you weary, postulate As for the rest, we'll litigate Scrub this leak and tub with your bare hands As you wear with pride your grey armpits Oh, Mother Hubbard! Oh, flaky and blubbered! Knew the end was coming so he ascended like a spirit in the sky. But someone replaced him. A most barefaced messiah. Barefaced messiah is a barefaced naughty boy. So if you're jaded by living and you want to be forgiven, I'll start a new religion from scratch. Stolen from Crowley when he chucked the tail, and I'll turn out my novels for cash. Yeah! So come and sing the crewmate's song. Billion years won't seem so long Yet you weary postulate As for the rest, politicate Scrub this leak and turn with your bare As you wear with pride your grey arm 
And old Mother Hubbard heard the cops were coming, sailed out on the seas. Old Mother Hubbard was well stocked, covered by his clay, rice, and beans. Old Mother Hubbard was a cunning old buzzard, had his words been copyright. Old Mother Hubbard, flatty Hubbard, descended like a spirit in the sky. Should old acquaintance be forgotten? Thank you. Good night. <laughs>